This is Turn on the Jets Film Room, your weekly extensive breakdown of New York Jets X's and O's. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Blewett. Stop route in the middle, curl. I'd actually like to start from Dawn. Maybe I want to see him get rid of the ball a little bit sooner as he sees a soft coverage, but I like how he leads him outside. Great freaking snag. That's a snag, man. And former Texas Tech All-American, current Arena League coach, and the hero of the Monday Night Miracle, Marcus, Marcus Coleman. Coleman. That is again by Coleman. You got to hand it to Marcus Coleman. He made the play earlier to pick it off in front of Gadsden, and then he read the eyes of the quarterback here. That interception is his third of the game, and that ties a Jets team mark. On Turn on the Jets Digital. And you are listening to another edition, the 44th edition of TOJ uh, Film Room. Sorry, I've been a little, on a little bit of a hiatus, and we do have a caller hall announced in a little bit. But before I do that, I'm just going to get to the housekeeping that I have to do. Um, obviously, you can follow us at TOJ Space Film Space Room on iTunes. On the YouTube, just have in Turn on the Jets, and you're, you'll find the channel there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at JoeRB31, where right now I'm putting up a review of Clutchio Semele. Leave reviews as always. I know there hasn't been a ton of content just because of a couple different things, which um, I'll explain a little bit. But new show that's going to be coming out for me, new podcast is going to be Joe's Film Room, Joe Apostrophe S Film Room, Super Simple. It's going to be both on iTunes and YouTube. Uh, my main focus is still going to be on the Jets, but I'm also going to be doing some players from around the league Aaron Donald, uh, Darius Leonard, Odell Beckham, you know, Xavier Rhodes, whoever it may be that I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing reviews of some other guys. Uh, we're going to start doing our Twitter mailbag. To our Twitter mailbags in a couple of weeks where you can just send a question on Twitter indicating that's a mailbag, whether it be like hashtag mailbag, or you can just uh, comment on YouTube or email me at blue at Joe T O J um, at Gmail. Like I said, which will start in a few weeks. Um, been busy the last couple of weeks. You have game of Thrones. That's been absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, you have the finale uh, this Sunday, which is going to be absolutely nuts, which I think is, I, I'm lost in my days. Today is Saturday. Yes, that's, that's tomorrow night. That's going to be crazy. Um, and a, a lot of people who follow me on the show, um, you know, no, are not on the show on Twitter, know that I did get engaged. And for the people who, which I, uh, I, pu- I pulled the picture right now, um, the people who commented, I really, really appreciate it. There was a ton of people who reached out and, uh, were critiquing my form. I thought for the, that was funny as hell. Like I'm the film guy. I'm always questioning ankle flexibility and all this stuff. People are talking about, you know, the, the weight distribution and the ankle flexibility and the, the, all this stuff. So you guys were great with that. So I really appreciate that. But that was a big part of the reason, or this, the picture that you see here now is a big part of the reason that I was not, um, doing the show for at least, at least a week or so. But that happened, and then a couple of weeks later, I had to, or like a week later, I had to get my freaking wisdom teeth out. I got my wisdom teeth out, and then for people who have got, you know, have, have had that happen, you know, you can't talk for a couple of days. And then I got dry socket. I'm not going to explain what dry socket is, but uh, if you want to Google it, go ahead. If you've had it, you know it sucks, and I haven't been able to talk, and my mouth is still swollen. And it's been about uh, 15 days, so. That's the reason I've been gone, but you have plenty of stuff coming your way uh, right now on the show with with uh, with my guest Scott Mason, who I'll talk to in a second. Um, we're going to be talking about you know the Mike McCagan firing, Adam Gase, all that stuff. I need somebody on who's in the know with this stuff, which, which Scott is. He talks to a thousand beat reporters from different teams and just just consistently working. So we're gonna have that for you. Then we're in the second half of the show is gonna be a Jakai Polite review, and then coming your way is like I said, Clutchio Assembly. We're gonna have Brian Poole. 
We're going to, I'm going to do Ty Montgomery. And then I'm doing reviews of a whole bunch of Jets 2018 season from uh, Donald Herndon, Shell, Winters, and Nunwa Anderson, May, Adams, Williamson, uh, Leonard Williams, Jordan Jenkins, Tremaine Johnson, Henry Anderson. So a lot of content coming your way. So I'm going to apologize for being gone for, you know, almost a month, but a ton of stuff is coming, but that's it, Scott. That was a very long-winded intro. Uh, I know you're not supposed to do that with with radio and shows, but I don't really care because it's my show. But uh, how are you, man? I'm good, and I just want to know with your new venture when you're going to be looking at players from all across the league, when can I look forward to my Spencer Long on the Bills look on Zoom? No, that's 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 not going to happen. Like I said, the the point, yeah. the point the point of doing this is like, listen, uh, for my own, and I've explained this before. I don't really care to admit it. Uh, am I going to get more push and, and more recognition doing Brandon Shell uh, to Jets fans or doing Aaron Donald to Rams fans? You know, so you want to branch out a little bit and, and, and grow a following, and that helps me in a lot of different ways. And you know, hopefully, I can make a partial career, part-time job out of this. That'd be pretty freaking cool. So uh, that's what I'm hoping for. But Scott, like I said, I were bringing you on this show, and we actually literally just recorded your show, sort of back-to-back podcast, which is nothing new for us because um, I needed you on because, like I said, you're in the know. Uh, you talk to all of the beat reporters from. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on their names right now. I can't, I'm remembering so many freaking players, but you talked to uh, Chris Nimble, sorry, and uh, everybody else that's on the beat and people from different teams, the Colts beat reporters and Steelers beat reporters and all this stuff. And you know a lot more than I do with that stuff because I'm, I'm film and you like to take deep dives into what's happened with the organization. So you're the best guy to bring on, including that we're obviously good friends as well. So uh, glad to have you on and we're going to uh, have some, I guess, air quotes, fun breaking down the mess that is the Jets. So. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, it's been kind of crazy, Joe. Kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is not what I was looking forward to. And I, like I said, it's it's fun to be able to just okay hear this news and just go right back into film and watching Jim McNally's uh, pass blocking clinics and things like that that I'm able to do. Uh, but I feel like it's such a big topic that I don't want to just come on here with an informed opinion, which it is slightly informed, but you know more than I do with the situation. So uh, I wanted to have you on and, and discuss this before I get into the film because this is a Jets show. It is a film show, but I do want to hit on on the main topics that are happening. You know, I can be a film show and still talk about you know, our GM getting fired that's something that we need to discuss so uh let's get into that so the whole gay smack thing uh, obviously gates gets hired and we've talked about it before we've talked about it on your podcast i've talked about it on this podcast i like his offense i like what he brings in terms of x's and o's and, and and just how smart he is and you hear throughout the nfl how smart of a coach he is and um just how intelligent he is overall with his schemes and stuff like that and i've talked about it with marcus when we were reviewing it we were looking at some of the plays of his offense like dude i don't know how to i don't know how to to guard this like we don't even know how, what we'd call it, even if we knew what the play was ha- was going to, to to be how we defend it so really really good x's and o's but the big question with him was what happened in miami with him yelling at stephen ross and disagreeing with the roster and alienating himself and wanting certain and certain players literally i think it was Kenyon drake you just mentioned before before we started recording um that he said that if Gase was back, he wouldn't come back to the team or whatever it was. There's been plenty of players from Gore to him to Jawan James who didn't like him. And that was the main issue with him coming to the Jets. And the main concern it wasn't the X's and O's, and that had to be a concern. And that's why some people weren't very high on him. Uh, that plus them really not knowing the film or watching the film and just seeing his record when he had guys like Brock Osweiler and Jay Cutler, um, which didn't help his record. And when Tannehill was in the game, he actually helped him in a lot of ways. And I showed it plenty on the film. Uh, if you want to go back to that to that review, which I did, just type in Gase TOJ on, on YouTube. You can see the review of the film. He put Tannehill in plenty of positions to to succeed and, and plenty of throws that Tannehill missed or didn't see or threw interceptions he shouldn't have. So I think he's a good coach. But 
um, the main problem with him kind of has come to fruition, Scott. So let's, uh, I guess let's dive into it. And you're basically going to run the podcast from here until you jump off because you're much more um, knowledgeable in this situation. So kind of just take me through the, the hiring, the concerns you had, what led up to this, the rumors, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll kind of hit on topics as, as we go. I didn't like the Adam Gase hire for a variety of reasons, but you touched on a good portion of them. I think the big worry with Adam Gase wasn't the X's and O's. We all know that he can do that. And quite frankly, I know that there are some guys that are better than others, but if you've gotten to the point where you're a well-respected coordinator in the league, for example, Todd Bowles, you know X's and O's. Now there's other parts of the game that you might not be so great at, but you know what X's and O's are about. Gase is somebody whose offense is perfectly fine. I think he gets a little too much credit, though, for what happened in Denver. People get a little carried away praising his work with Jay Cutler when Cutler realistically had numbers that was pretty close to what he had done in previous years. But I think he's perfectly fine, and he's a smart X's and O's guy, and he knows his football, and nobody would take that away from him. I think the problem is that there's a big difference between being a coordinator and being a position coach and then running the entire team as the head coach. And so a lot of that involves being a CEO, being able to deal with players, being able to deal with coaches, being able to deal with upper management. And Gates had a lot of problems with that in Miami. As you mentioned, there were times where he screamed at the owner, Stephen Ross. There's a famous story in Travis Wingfield from Lockdown Dalton's talked about this on the podcast where there was a position that, Ross wanted filled that hadn't been filled and he simply asked Gase about it and Gase came at him like who do you think you are questioning me you're the owner you own the team I'm the football guy leave the football to me that was the gist of it according to reports mm-hmm. and for everybody that wants to say well Stephen Ross deserves to be yelled at he shouldn't be questioning his football guy on and on you can't talk to people like that, whether they're below you or above you, and expect to have their respect. And expect to have their respect. In the case of an owner, you just simply can't talk to him that way. It's just the reality of life. When a guy owns a company, you have to treat him with a certain level of respect, at least to his face. I mean, if you want to go behind his back and talk about how he's an idiot, I'm sure we've all been there. But then, beyond that, with the players. There was being very disconnected from the defense. And the famous story is, I believe it was even against the Jets, where Rashad Jones pulled himself out of the game, not because he was hurt. He just pulled himself out of the game. And Gase didn't even know about it until the press mentioned it later on. That's very concerning. It's kind of Rex Ryan-like in reverse, where if you remember, Santonio Holmes was kicked out of the huddle by his teammates in 2011. And Rex didn't know about it until the media brought it up later on. There's the idea that uh, he had some interesting relationships with his coaches, didn't really seem to supervise them all that well. Uh, There was the famous case of, how do I put this, the assistant coach who was caught doing stuff involving a white powdery (laughs) substance on video at the team facility. That's not something that happens with a coach that has a real grip on his staff or who knows how to fill the staff at the right positions. Scott, there was you, the butting heads Scott of- I want you to continue, but you, if anything, you know, like this is my show, you could say he was snorting crack off a table. <laughs> I don't care. Well, you know, it's, so. I, I did that more for the idea <laughs> that it's quote unquote alleged and I don't want to put us in the jackpot yeah. of being well, in like trouble legally it, or it, anything it's, like that. It's just like well, trouble legally. It's like, it's like my job when I 
when I see something that's clearly weed, it smells like weed, looks like weed, packaged like weed, I have to say a greenish brown vegetative substance. Right. Like until it's technical. So I know mm-hmm. what you're doing, but, but he, let's be honest. He was storing <laughs> coke off a table, but continue. Right. Well, listen, you said it, not me. So right, either way you get the, <laughs> either way you get the idea. But then with the players, there were any time a player rubbed Gase the wrong way or wasn't his kind of player, that guy was shipped out of town. We saw it with Landry. We saw it with Jay Ajayi. There were a couple of others. There's the fact that he didn't seem to put a premium on building the offensive line. The only investment that he made that was major was Laramie Tunsil, and that was kind of by accident. If you remember, there was that whole bong incident right before the draft. The video came out, I think, within an hour of the draft starting. He was a guy that was widely expected to be a top five pick, and who a lot of people, including me, had as the best player in the draft, and he ended up sliding all the way down to the Dolphins because of that. Otherwise, there were no investments in the offensive line in a major way under Gase. The only draft pick they used was a fifth rounder on a guard. They would do stuff along the lines of what McCagnin did, these patchwork jobs. Josh Sitton would come in on a one-year deal, those kind of things. And the players not only disliked him but disrespected him at the end of the year especially, these guys were just tired of his act. Um, the only one that spoke up in, on his behalf is Albert Wilson, who loved him because Gates gave him a lot of touches and expanded his role from when he was in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But most of the players that you heard spoke up in favor of Gates were guys that played for him as offensive coordinator. And Joe, as I said before, there's a big difference between coach and coordinator. And you talk to players, they'll tell you that a lot of times these guys change when they become coach and have more control. And that seems to be what happened with Gates because you mentioned Kenyon Drake. He all but said that if Gase was back, he didn't want to be there. Jawan James more or less said the same thing, although ironically he ended up leaving anyway as a free agent. Danny Amendola hinted about it. He ended up getting cut anyway. Frank Gore reportedly in the exit interview went to management and said, this guy's bad news. You heard similar sentiments from Cam Wake. It's just a situation where he's a guy that, knows X's and O's and knows football and seems to think that everybody should just fall in line with everything he wants all the time. And that was dangerous from the get-go because not only are those a bunch of red flags, but you're hiring him literally right after he got fired. So it's not like he had a chance to be demoted, be humble, learn his lesson, or even take a year or two away and kind of reflect on the mistakes that he made. He now comes into a situation right away where he is going to have to do the job that he just did in Miami and learn from his mistakes instantly. Well, you know, a guy like that generally has to be humbled in order to learn from his mistakes. And that's not what happened here. Because people will point to guys like Bill Belichick and they'll say, well, look, he got fired. Okay, fine. But Bill Belichick didn't get another opportunity for five years. Right. And there are other guys, Pete Carroll, look at Pete Carroll. Okay. But Pete Carroll, got fired multiple times, had to be a coordinator again, then had to go to college and prove that he could win there multiple times before he got another shot and was actually successful. None of this applies to Gase. You talk about Andy Reid. That's a different story too because obviously you know that he had a lot of success with Philly, but he had that whole personal issue going on with his son. And then everything kind of fell apart there, so a change of scenery was needed. And you weren't worried about him coming in after that long tenure with Philadelphia. With Gase, that was a huge concern right off of the bat. His my way or the highway, 
the way that he works with players and other members of the staff and upper management and just the overall stubbornness. And plus also, this is a guy that was used to having control of the 53-man roster. Mike Tannenbaum was the general manager, but Gase was the most important football man in that building. Joe Shad talked about that on Locked on Dolphins with Travis. So coming in as just a coach, you figured, all right, well, maybe things will be different that he doesn't have control. But you also knew in the back of your head that he wanted control. I wasn't thinking that he was going to pull a move like this this quickly. But in the back of my head, I knew that something was going to happen at some point because a guy like Gase needs to have control. So going into it, that was my major concern, or those were my major concerns overall. There were a lot of them. And then obviously we now get to the point where everything went down. Yeah, and it's kind of like, and you you hear that he's too smart for himself, kind of both on the football field and off the football field, where there are certain concepts I, I saw where it was like, you know, let's just say it's a sale concept where it worked multiple times. And then he would just go completely away from it. So that was kind of a question I had mm-hmm. just with him on the field. And it kind of relates to him off the field too. We we're talking about like he doesn't want big time players and he thinks his offense is so good that, you know, he doesn't need an offensive lineman or he doesn't need a big time receiver who is a, you know, Julio Jones. He'd rather just have a guy who could be, you know, in a certain spot at a certain time. And that, that's good enough for him. So it's kind of a concern with the bigger players on the roster. You need, you need multiple pro ball players to be on a roster to, to win no matter how good your offense is, um, in my opinion, or your defense is, in my opinion, and how good your system is. So that was one of the concerns. And you, you, you said, like, coming in, you know, he needed that kind of that, that period to kind of reflect and see what he did differently. And then there's the Jets fans who, like, like me, you know, I think he's really good X's and O's, but you had the concern with off-the-field stuff or the, you know, the manager of the team. And, you know, you talk about, you know, coordinators versus there's defensive coordinators, et cetera, head coach. Head coach, you have to manage, you have to manage the players, too. You don't have to teach them all – you know, X's and O's in the offense or the defense. Mm-hmm. You have to manage them to your you you manage a whole team and you kind of oversee them. You're you're more in control with the the, the roster. You know, if you don't technically have control, you're, you're you have more of an influence than a coordinator does. So there's many different like roles and hats you have to wear, and that was a concern. And you know, myself and whoever else, you might have think, okay, well, you know, maybe he changed a little bit. Maybe you know he won't have control here. It'll be McCagnan, but for him to make this move and get the GM fired. Um, which we'll go into a little bit more detail of exactly what happened with that whole thing. But to make this power play this soon, it kind of just shows the, the concerns that we had about him are showing up very, very quickly where he, it looks like he didn't really change. So now it's kind of almost hoping for the best, like, okay, this guy's just going to be like a mad scientist and somehow we're going to win with a psychopath instead of, okay, well, Gase has learned his ways and now he's a more quiet guy and he's more humble to know the, the psychopath Gase has, has, fully come out <laughs> and now we're kind of just hoping for the best because mm-hmm. you know listen we talked about it before uh there's not a lot of time you know it's like okay well you know the Jets don't have a quarterback they're still trying to find their way they have a really good uh, a quarterback who's been really really good in my opinion you only have four year window to to really win with him or like listen you can win after they sign to a big contract but it's much much more hard so you really want to take advantage of this four years so now you have all these concerns uh, already going into his second year. You know, can you see Gase get fired after this year or the next year or the next year with, with incompetent owners? It's just really, really a uh, flammable type situation. That's just way too concerning for me. But uh, let's get into some of the other talking points with Mac. And then with him, I, I just wrote down a couple of different things. It might, it's probably in no order in specific. I just, you know, I don't feel like diving deep into it. We kind of have to. <laughs> um, why do you think the Jets didn't fire McCagney at the end of the season? There's a lot of people who said, 
you know, uh, they should have fired him after the season, which we were big proponents of that, Scott. We said it right after the season, even mm-hmm. coming into the season, that Mac should have been fired and bullshit and fired before even last year, even though Mac made that move, et cetera. You had him a year. Um, so we wanted Bulls and Mac fired. It made no sense that, that they didn't fire him at the end of the season. And I guess the only thing you could say is, okay, well, he, you know, his team was scouting and, you know, you let a, a lot of, there's been more GMs who've been fired after the draft than head coaches. So it makes a little bit more sense than firing a coach after the draft. Uh, you saw it with the, with the chiefs, which we'll get into. They had Andy Reid, who has been to like 14 playoff appearances, whatever, whatever it, it exactly is. But why did they fire Mac at the end of the season? How does it make sense at all that they, they waited until after he draft, uh, after he drafted, after he signed freedoms and, uh, I guess in that kind of get into what you've heard about, you know, who signed free agents. Was it, was it him? Was it, was it McKagan? Was it Gase? Was it Christopher Johnson? Was it Christopher Johnson who wanted to draft a certain guy? Was it McKagan? So like, it's not like, okay, well, the thing, the thing with like the hiring of Gase, and that's another question too, which, you know, I'm giving you a lot of topics, but you're, you're good at this stuff. So, you know, okay, well, well, McKagan hired Gase. I don't think McKagan hired Gase. I think it was more of Christopher Johnson and McKagan kind of disagreed because he's trying to get on Christopher Johnson's good side because he's, he's on the hot seat. So I don't think McKagan hired him and then got, then got kind of tossed out by the guy he got, he hired. So uh, what do you, what do you think on all that stuff? It's kind of a lot to put on your plate, but. Uh, it's really kind of a crazy situation that went down because as er, recently as a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Johnson was talking nice about Mike McCagnan and then this comes and happens. What ended up happening, it looks like, is that Christopher Johnson either wasn't paying attention or was manipulated or a combination of both here because if he really felt like Mike McCagnan wasn't doing a good job. And as you said, you and I and many others have said over and over again that he didn't do a good job. And the evidence speaks for it. Michael Nanny has put together some really good data on this about how poor Mike McCagnon's drafts were, which is ironic because according to reports, and Chris Nimbley said this to me on the podcast that his sources indicated this as well, McCagnon kind of shut himself out from other people. And what he liked to do was what he used to do as director of college scouting, which is go in a room and just watch college prospects. Now, if that's what he was doing, that makes all of this even worse because if he was spending all his time scouting college prospects and this was the record that he produced, it's pretty scary. So what it boils down to here is that apparently Bowles and McCagnon were kind of at odds last year because I think they both realized that they could be in trouble based on what was going on. And so you saw the leaks back and forth and then ultimately Bowles got the ax and McCagney didn't. I think that McCagney felt like he was probably safe because he survived Bowles getting fired. He was asked to help find a new head coach and he had just drafted Sam Darnold. So I don't think he was super worried. The one guy that he might've been a little worried about was Mike McCarthy. And that's because, with his resume, we talked about Andy Reid before and that whole shakeup with Dorsey. He might have thought, oh, you know, maybe McCarthy has the kind of clout that could, you know, maybe if I did something that he didn't like, he could get the owner's ear, so on and so forth. So I think they were scared off from McCarthy based on stuff they heard calling Green Bay and finding out what was really going on there, where McCarthy was apparently getting kind of lazy the last couple of years. He was butting heads with Aaron Rodgers and he was losing some of the players and so on and so forth. So I I think that was part of what scared him off. And I'm sure Mac didn't want him for that reason that he might've felt like he was a threat to him. 
originally it sounds like they wanted Matt Rule, but they wanted to have Matt Rule with them picking the yeah. staff for mm-hmm. Matt Rule. Now, people have said, well, who does Matt Rule think he is making any kind of demands like he wants his coaches? But here's the thing that people forget. Matt Rule makes, I think, 4 to $5 million a year to coach down in Waco, Texas, a program where he is very highly thought of right now because he went in there where they had practically been given the death penalty after all that nonsense went down with Art Bryles. Nobody wanted to go there. There were recruits that decided to transfer, all this stuff, and he turned them into a team that had a winning record within a quick two years. He's known as a program builder. He did something similar at Temple as well. He had some success coaching the Giants' offensive line in the NFL, very highly thought of in league circles. In fact, Chris Ballard, who's one of the most highly thought of general managers in the league, had his eye on Rule and had him under serious consideration before eventually hiring McDaniels and then Frank Reich. But that tells you about what people think about Matt Rule. And he kind of is that successful CEO. He knows how to manage his staff, sort of in that John Harbaugh mold that people were looking at. Like, he could be the next... You know, Harbaugh, Parcells type guy. Now, look, obviously, anybody that comes in, that's a high bar to compare him to Parcells. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying sort of in that mold of a guy that just knows how to run a football team. But he ended up not wanting the job because they wanted to give him coaches. And he said, I want to pick my staff. And that just wasn't going to work out. So that didn't happen. And then right after that fell apart, they went to their fallback plan, which was Adam Gase. Now, by all accounts, They wanted somebody with head coaching experience already. So you could sort of understand the thing with Gates because you could point to him and say, well, he had a playoff run. He had three years of NFL coaching experience. Plus, he's an offensive-minded guy. You could bring him in here and work with Sam Darnold. So you could see it from that aspect. But the problem is there were so many red flags from Miami. And when he was coming in here, with the idea that he wasn't going to have control of the 53-man roster, you kind of had to say to yourself, this is weird because he's used to being the most important man in the building in Miami, and what's going to happen when he doesn't get his way? But he seemed to play it off as, ah, no problem. Now, this is where it kind of gets interesting, Joe, because was Gase lying about not really being that concerned about having control? Was it something that he wasn't really pressed on? Because according to reports, and Chris Nimbley talked about this with me, even as far back as February, we talked about this off the air. His sources were saying that Gates wanted no part of Le'Veon Bell. Now, I know that the story that leaked out is that they didn't want to spend that much money on him. And I'm sure that's part of it. But let's remember, if you're a coach... Your job is not to be concerned about the salary cap. So even if that's true, that goes back to him being disingenuous and just saying what he needed to say to get the job after his other options fell apart and he realized his only shot at a head coaching job was the Jets. The other thing here is that Chris heard that it was well beyond that, that Gates felt that Le'Veon Bell wasn't his type of player, which fits because there were reports and Chris back this up as well, that Gase was very upset that Le'Veon Bell did not show up to voluntary OTAs. Now, Gase said publicly that, hey, that's just the way it is, talk to the players' union, but privately was going around saying, see, this is what I didn't want. The other thing is that he felt like he could get 
Tevin Coleman for a fraction of the price and turn him into a star. So this goes back to what we were saying before about being too smart for his own good, because this is what he did in Miami. He felt like, oh, I don't need to make these big investments. I can get, get by with my smart system. Or as you said on the field, he would do things that worked. And then instead of continuing to go to the well that was working, he would go away from it as if to say, oh, well, I can do other things. Okay, but if it's working, why are you going away from it? So I, from what Tony Pauline told Joe Caparoso, the first big opportunity for Gase to kind of start to make his play was when Anthony Barr reneged on the deal that he apparently had with the Jets. At that point, people in league circles were whispering, and I think Gase started to kind of get in his ear. And then the Le'Veon Bell thing was another matter. The interesting thing about that is from reports, McCagnin wanted Bell, but Christopher Johnson also did. So that's where it kind of gets thorny, where he didn't want Bell, but maybe he was trying to talk them into going a different route. And that's why you saw conflicting reports there. And then from there, there were other things. And again, for somebody that doesn't care about having control of the 53-man roster, why would you get this upset about a 33-year-old blocking tight end who, by the way, from talking to Jake Burns and Jeff Lloyd, who uh, cover the Browns and, and do film the way that you do for the Jets, they said that Fells really wasn't that good as a blocking tight end last year with the Browns. So for whatever that's worth. I think what happened here is that Gase came in thinking that he could kind of get McCagnin to do what he wanted because McCagnin has a reputation as leaning on Brian Hammerdinger, who is his assistant, and also leaning on the coaches and just saying, okay, tell me what you need and I'll go get it for you. I think when he got here, he sort of realized fairly quickly that that's not how this was going to work, especially with free agency when he saw Mac hesitating to get a guy like Matt Paradis, who he apparently really wanted and who McCagney was hesitant to pay because of that injury to his leg. And then the Le'Veon Bell thing and Anthony Barr reneging and then not getting guys like Fells. It's Daniel Fells, Darren Fells. I can't remember who's who. There's too many guys named Fells. But anyway, you get the point. And so this all started to come to a head. And at at a certain point, Gase was in – Christopher Johnson's ear to the point where Christopher Johnson had to come to the facility to try and calm things down and watch over what was going on. And I think eventually Gase kind of made the convincing case to Christopher Johnson, hey, this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. I've been in a bunch of different organizations and this is not how it's done. He probably sold him on a replacement and we're going to get to that in a little bit. And I I think that Christopher Johnson kind of looked at this as, well, I can't have this all year where you're going to have Mac and Gase at each other's throats and they're going to be going to competing media guys and undercutting each other. And Adam's making some strong points. And maybe, maybe some of what Todd Bowles told Christopher Johnson at a certain point resonated with him now. Because maybe he was like, ah, Todd's just saying what he needs to say to cover his ass, but now I've got another guy saying it. So a lot of that went into it. I think this is a combination of Christopher Johnson being in over his head because why are you evaluating this now and not at the end of the season? I think he probably did evaluate it at the end of the season and was comfortable with Mike McCagnin. Uh, but I think that Gase kind of, you know, led him in a direction and was able to kind of 
steer him the way that he wanted him to steer him. And then that's why we're at where we're at. And even if you're happy that McCagnan is gone and Joe, you and I are certainly not upset about that. Yeah. You have to ask yourself two questions. What has Adam Gase done to deserve this kind of power, especially this short into his tenure after flaming out in Miami? And more importantly, the two guys that have all the pull in this organization that absolutely cannot be fired are Christopher Johnson and Woody Johnson. If something like this happens and it shows you how easily manipulated and how in over his head Christopher Johnson is, what does that tell you about what this may mean for future possibilities so that's really where i'm concerned i'm look mac is gone fine but now gase for all intents and purposes is going to be the most important football voice in the building and christopher johnson has shown that he really is in over his head so that's really where my worries are yeah so you went through a lot of things there so i kind of want to hit them a little bit more like individually just to because i was like okay well now i want to talk about gase or mac or this but you went everywhere so let's just let's just do this (laughs) um so so mccagan let's just get this out of the way um the thing with him and not firing him after the season uh which is something that we both thought should happen it's not that like he he was he was good in some aspects like we see some of the things that he did with you know getting brandon marshall henry anderson robbie anderson uh, drafting Leo, Adams, Donald, and whether they were, you know, whether they were obvious picks or not, he still made those picks. They should have been obvious picks for other teams as well. The Donald trade, not getting up a first-round pick, people people view as a positive. Uh, Osemele, he did a pretty good job in free agency at times. The bad, though, with the drafting, especially for a guy who apparently locked mm-hmm. himself in a room with, you know, wrote down some names, Hackenberg, Lee, Devin Smith, Stewart, Hanson, Jarvis Harrison, Malden, Petty, Burris, Donahue. So his, he was a terrible drafter. And it's not that he was like egregiously bad. Like there were some positives to him. Let's 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 be, even though we were obviously not fans. He was not he was not John Isaac bad. He was a step up from that, which isn't saying too much. But he didn't, <laughs> he didn't do anything to show that he deserved a second chance. That was our biggest thing with it. People are like, oh well, you know, defend him on this and that. I get the defense of him, but he did nothing to to show that he deserved a second chance with a second coach. I just didn't think that was necessary. Um, so I'm I'm fine with that with that firing. And I think he deserved to be fired at the end of the season. The fact that they didn't fire him at the end of the season, I thought was a was a big mistake for what we're seeing. Um, now and just how much simpler life would be if they just hired another GM and then hired like Todd Munkin. <laughs> I'd be so much more happy mm-hmm. right now. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, I guess just let's just hit on that first. Your your thought of the Mac tenure, um, I guess in a shorter form because yeah, I know we could go for hours about Mac, but uh, <laughs> I just didn't. He, right. just, he just he just didn't do he just didn't do enough to deserve or to show that he deserved this a second uh, kind of stint. What I think of when I think of McCagney mostly was there's a movie called uh, Rookie of the Year, or excuse me, it wasn't Rookie of the Year, Little Big League. And the premise of the story was that the owner of the Minnesota Twins, his grandson was this like giant baseball owner. He knew everything about baseball. He's a 12-year-old kid. And the grandfather used to bring him around and everybody in the organization knew him and they realized what a smart kid he was, but he was still 12. And the grandfather ends up dying and leaving the twins to the kid. The kid decides to fire the manager because the manager is a grumpy jerk and the team's not doing well. And so he decides to name himself the manager. And at one point, his favorite player on the team is this guy, Jerry, who's an older guy who was once a really, really great player, but now isn't as great a player anymore. And he's just really at the point where he's at the end of his career. And he's in the 
office talking to one of the assistant coaches and trying to make a case for why Jerry is still good or why he should still, still be on the team. And the night, the later that night, Jerry pinch hit and gets a cheap single through the infield. And it was the first hit he had gotten in a while. And the, he says to the assistant coach, see, I told you, this guy, he's still, he's still good. He can still hit. And the assistant says to him, kid, don't you think it says something you're, that you're getting this excited over a seeing eye single? And that's mm-hmm. when it dawned on him, okay, you know what? You're right. And he released him. And that's kind of the way I look at Mike McCagnon is everybody would point to his seeing eye signals as a big deal, but miss all the strikeouts, miss the slump, miss the fact that he batted 150 in the month of August, whatever it is. Because if you look at his overall record, it was really bad. And we're not going to go too far in depth, but here's the reality of it. With the exception of the guys that he picked in the top six, and even Leonard Williams, I'll say this. Leonard Williams was the best pick he could have realistically made at that spot. And pretty much any general manager at number six is going to make that pick. And he's turned into a good to very good player, but he still hasn't necessarily lived up to what you expect out of a player picked that high. But I'll still give him credit because, you know, I guess he could have picked Vic Beasley or somebody like that. He could have picked Vic Beasley, could have picked Kevin White. You know, I think, I think at that time it was, the, it was the proper pick, no matter of how it worked out. Because if you looked at the sure. guys below him, I'm sure you could pick out a guy in the second or third round who's better. Oh, yeah, you should have drafted him. But you have to be realistic. And I, I will give him credit for that pick. He did, he did make that pick. He didn't draft Kevin White. And it was, it was a semi-obvious pick. I know we're going to go with this. I want you to continue. But outside of the top six, which you should be drafting mm-hmm. all, all pro level players, obviously with Donald was something that needed to be happened. Obviously the Jets they 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 traded up to three. They were fine with taking three quarterbacks. They they figured that one of them would drop, whether it be I guess Mayfield or uh, Darnold or however they had him there. So that was an obvious thing. He needed to do that to keep his job, in my opinion. He needed a quarterback, and he couldn't sit on his hands and stay at six because then you know Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield could all be gone. Adams was a pretty obvious pick, but then outside of that, right. which should be good picks, you're looking at – listen, another first-round pick he had is, is Lee, where he's picked at 16 or 18 or 20, whatever it was. He's got traded for a sixth-round draft pick. So, like, yep. yeah, and past the first – past the top ten, his draft record was terrible. Now, did he make – did he pick guys like Jordan Jenkins, who thinks a little bit underrated, Brandon Shell, who's a below-average right tackle, but in the fifth round, that's pretty that, – that's an okay pick. There was There were some – picks there but for a guy who locked himself in a room and watched film he sounds kind of like mm-hmm. me a little bit um to make to have the draft record that he did is just not impressive but continue I, I think that's a little bit where you're going so i might have just uh you know i don't know killed killed your 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 points but yeah and that's the thing like with darnold look it's good that he got aggressive and made that trade up but people say oh we got darnold who might be the franchise quarterback they haven't had him forever well, number one, obviously, the general manager job is more than getting a quarterback. But number two, yeah. it's kind of a perfect storm because in order to get a quarterback like that, you typically have to be picking really high in the draft. And you also have to have a quarterback class that produces quarterbacks that are on that high level. Now, I would tell you that going into that draft, there were two guys that I thought were potential Pro Bowl to all pro quarterbacks and another guy that I thought – had possible Pro Bowl potential, but I wasn't as high on them. That's Rosen. But Mayfield and Darnold, I love. You and I talked about this a lot. I had Darnold as my one and Mayfield as my two, but I would have been perfectly happy with Baker Mayfield too. But again, you have to go back to the fact that it was kind of a circumstance thing and good for him for getting Darnold. That's always something that he'll have on his resume. But the rest of the way, 
you look at his other draft picks and you talk about like Jordan Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins is okay. He's like a decent third round pick. He's nothing to write home about. Brandon Shell, okay for a fifth rounder, but they did trade a fourth rounder to get him, and mm-hmm. that ended up being a really high fourth rounder. And Shell's been okay, but whatever. Darren Lee, people are trying to trick us into thinking that he was this breakout superstar when in reality he had a handful of decent games. But really, other than that, he just flashed and was very erratic. And Joe, you've done plenty of film on him. There were yeah. a lot of times where you want to pull your hair out with him. And the rest of his mid to late round picks, look, not everybody has to be Alvin Kamara or something like that. I get it. But you want more quality players, especially when it comes to rounds two through four. Because, look, after that, you're really getting lucky if you get anything more than a a rotational piece or special teams guy. But rounds two, three, and four, you expect to pick guys that are going to be meaningful starters. And he just didn't do enough of that. And for a guy that, like you said, or as I was telling you before, locked himself in a room, you expect a hell of a lot more than that. And then with the free agent signings, he had his moments and his trades, he had his moments, but there were plenty of failures too. The Darrell Revis signing turned out to be a disaster. Gilchrist was a bad signing. Cromartie blew up in his face. You could go down the line. Plus, of course, no real major investments in the offensive line, which unfortunately is something that you're probably going to have to deal with with Gase as well, because from his tenure in Miami, it seems like that's kind of his philosophy as well, kind of the patchwork job. So really, that was his record as a general manager, as a guy that people who defended him went to the well too many times on a lot of subpar draft picks. Because, like, let's be honest about it. If you're touting Jordan Jenkins or Brandon Shell as a really good draft pick, you don't watch enough of other teams in the league. Because... When you compare Jenkins and Brandon Shell to the starters on other teams, I get that there are plenty of bad tackles and plenty of not-so-great outside uh, linebackers, but those guys are low-level starters at best. And I think in the case of Shell, you can make the case that he's a borderline starter. I think in the case of Jenkins, you can make the case that he's at best a borderline starter. I think there are a lot of teams those two guys probably wouldn't start on. So if you're trumpeting those guys, telling me that you're not really paying attention to the other teams in the league, and this can't be a situation where you're measuring McCagnon versus other bad general managers this team has had. You have to measure him against the other general managers in the league on other teams. And when you measure him against, say, Idzik, okay, now I've been of the opinion that Idzik gets a little too much grief because he was only here for two years. We know that he wanted to rebuild. Maybe he wasn't the guy to pull that off, but I thought maybe if he'd have gotten in there a year or two, who knows? Now, I'm fine with them firing him when they did because maybe they just decided that, okay, this guy did poorly in this draft and we can't be wasting draft capital like that. That's fine. I wasn't upset about him getting fired. But even if you want to say that McCagnon was better than Idzik, so what? That's not the measuring stick. Even if you want to say that that McCagnon was as good or better than Tannenbaum after Mangini left and the draft started to fall apart, okay, that's not the measuring stick. You have to compare him to Chris Ballard and Ted Thompson and Kevin Colbert and guys like that, the best GMs in the league that are consistently making good decisions. And when you do that, he's in the bottom five to 10 general managers in the league easily. And so that's the mistake that I think a lot of McCadden's hardcore defenders really were making and I don't want to say I was anti-Mac I praised him when I thought he deserved it 
and I criticized him when I thought that he deserved that. But I think that there were a lot more instances to criticize than the word of praise. You know, and I, and I and I get that. And with with Jordan Jenkins, I I think it's a solid pick. I I definitely think getting a guy who I think is a I think he's a decent um, strong side outside linebacker in a three four. So I'll give him credit for that. But you still have to uh, kind of weigh the bad versus the good. So yeah, I think overall with the being a third third round pick, that's a good pick. But then you have to look at guys yeah, like, like I said with guys like Hackenberg and guys like Petty and guys like Devin Smith, right. guys like Lorenzo Malden, Chad Hanson. Chad Hansen, or Darius Stewart, um, mm-hmm. all these different guys who, like you said, you know, second, third, fourth round, those are the rounds where you want at least, you know, you want a starter or a very, very solid role player. And he didn't really get enough yeah. of that um, to, to outweigh, you know, the, the negatives that he, that he had. So like the Jenkins and the shell pick, you know, I'll give him a plus grade for those, but weighing that versus Hackenberg and Devin Smith and our Darius Stewart and Hansen, like we just said, is, is just not enough. So, was he abysmal? No, but he he was definitely well below average as a GM, and he didn't he just didn't show enough to to deserve a, a second stint with being able to go into the hiring process. Because then, listen, if he does a bad job again, one, well, you didn't expect him to get fired this quickly. But then, what's going to happen? Okay, well, he drafts and he keeps screwing up. Now you're going to fire him and then hire another GM and force that GM on mm-hmm. again. Like you're doing now, like you just mm-hmm. when you fire one, you just fire both, especially if one. Even if it was, you know, the coach who didn't show enough, but whatever, the GM was really bad. It's it's easier to start over. And I think the Jets, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just hit on this really quickly, and then we're gonna hit on some other things. We'll go, like I said, topic by topic, and we'll just, we'll run through them. But uh, the reporting structure too, I just, I, I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, the, mm-hmm. and, and it promotes exactly what just happened when you have two guys reporting yep. to the owner. Listen, if me now now if I had, let's just say you're the GM of TOJ, and I, and I was the um, you know, and I was just a, a pawn, which I hope is not true. And then Joe Caparossi, <laughs> you know, you have me reporting to There's the only team. one guy in charge of TOJ, and his name ain't Joe Blewett or Scott Mason. No, but I'm saying <laughs> if you're the GM and Joe is the, the owner, and I have to report right. to you, and then we work things out, and then you go to the owner and you discuss it with him. When we both have direct lines to the, to the owner, it, it promotes shit talking, basically. It's yep. that, that, uh-huh. that, you don't you don't just call the owner and like for my job we have a chain of command and that's there's a reason for a chain of command i don't go to my my lieutenant or my chief with all my problems i go to to the to the uh to the sergeant you know and there's there's reasons for that so it it promotes exactly what just happened with the reporting structure that they have so i think they need to change that i don't think it's ever going to happen and my concern with this is like listen there's obviously now could this work out with 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 them and like i said i want to go through all all the other kind of topics around this could this work out and gase gets douglas and then Douglas kind of abides by what Gase wants. They come together and they get a good roster and win a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, could it potentially happen? I, you know, it could. And I think Douglas is a much better GM and prospect than than, than Mac ever was. We still have to, you know, sure. wait to see what happens. Um, but it's just kind of a lot of explosive, uh, explosiveness and flammability with this. With you know, I'd rather just be a clean guy like a Munkin who was good at X's and O's and didn't cause any problems. So now you have that with Greg Williams, with the reporting structure, with a with an owner who is clearly incompetent, just all coming together. It's just not a very clean situation. So, um, and we'll get to all that, but let's just go through the next topic. Uh, From what you know, like who made the draft picks, who made the signings? Was a lot of McCagnan, was a lot of, was a lot of Gase because you just said that, you know, Gase wanted Paradis and Mac didn't, Mac didn't get Paradis for him. Um, There was some concerns with Mac about like, okay, well, you know, he was just not decisive enough for a guy like Austin Safarian Jenkins, who, um, 
was he a fantastic tight end? No, but during that year, what was it, 2015, 2016, whatever, 2016, I guess, he had a pretty solid year for the Jets, and then he went for like a million more dollars than the Jets were willing to spend. So should he have signed Austin Safarian Jenkins back? Yeah, he probably should have. So it just seemed like he was not decisive enough. Uh, Paradis wasn't here. You know, Paradis flew in and did good morning football, and it seemed like he was all but signed at that point. They never made an offer to a center um, who was viewed as one of the top centers in the league, you know, minus injury concerns, but he still didn't even make an offer, which is concerning. He didn't make an he didn't try to resign Austin Safarian Jenkins. The lack of decisiveness um, in, in free agency, I think, really, you know, kind of uh, hurt Gase's opinion of, of Mac, and it just kind of created more problems, mm-hmm. and it was a really flammable situation. So with free agency, like, was it was it all Mac? Was it all was it all Gase? And then um, something else I want to ask too with that is uh, with with the hiring of Gase. Do you think it was McCagan? Do you think it was it was more of Chris Johnson as our fallback plan? I know you talked about it a little bit, um, but I guess if you can just I guess uh, we can just kind of hammer this this topic home, then we can get to some other stuff. What it sounds like with the hiring process is that. McCagnan kind of was trying to read Christopher Johnson and sort of go along with him. Mm-hmm. I think McCagnan felt like it was go along to get along because he was happy to still be around and whoever he brought in that was going to make the owner happy, that wasn't going to be a threat to him. He was fine with it. I think that it was probably one of those things where Christopher Johnson really liked Gase and McCagnan kind of went along for the ride. Uh, I'm sure that McCagnan preferred Gase to some of the other candidates, but I think that a lot of this had to do with Christopher Johnson. And with the free agency, it sounds like Mac was in charge, but was taking cues from other people at certain points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Johnson apparently really wanted Le'Veon Bell, and so did Mac. Gase did not, and so that was one point of contention. Uh, it sounds like... Mosley was somebody that somebody really wanted. There have been conflicting reports as to whether Gase wanted him or didn't want him, but somebody wanted him outside of McCagnan, whether it was him or whether it was Greg Williams. Beyond that, I think that Matt kind of looked to fill holes. The Paradise thing, I think, probably really made Gase mad. And I don't have any specific info on this, but figure it this way. Paradise flies in here. Like you said, he's on Good Morning Football. Gary Vee, who's a big Jets fan, is his agent. He's set to meet with the Jets. They know the Jets need a center. Adam Gase probably, and I'm not going to make any straight-up accusations, but let's put it this way. He has a relationship with Paradis. You'd have to imagine that they may have discussed the possibility of Paradis coming here and Gase understanding that he needed a center and Paradis understanding that the Jets would have been a good fit for him. And maybe with McCagnin getting cold feet because of the leg, Gase was upset because it made him look like a fool, even to Paradis, who probably expected a contract offer that never came. And beyond that, like I said, it sounds like McCagnin was the one that was in charge, but he was taking, I guess, not orders, but taking suggestions from other people. Yeah. The draft it's kind of thorny. Nobody really knows what was going on there, but reading the tea leaves, it sounds like Adam Gase wanted to trade out of that spot and use the extra picks on offensive players. Uh, It sounds like McCagnin decided to stay at three because he just felt like the offers they were getting weren't good enough to move out of that spot. And so he stayed at three and took Glennon Williams. Bravo for that. The funny thing about this, 
Yeah, well, I was just going to say the funny thing about this is, Joe, two of the biggest moves that may have caused a point of contention here, Bell and the drafting of Quinn and Williams, this is kind of one of those things where as much as we didn't like Mac, I guess we should be glad that he stuck yeah. around because if Gase was the one calling the shots, Le'Veon Bell would be in San Francisco and Quinn and Williams would probably be in Buffalo right now. And maybe Mosley is back with the Ravens, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a possibility too. So I think that realistically, this is a slow burn thing. And you and I talked about this. It's not one of those deals where somebody just comes in and says, I got to get, I want this guy out of here. I want all the power I'm leaving. It's just kind of one of those chip away, chip away, chip away kind of things that Gase did. And I don't think Mac was prepared for it because by all accounts, and again, Chris Nimbley talked about this on my podcast, Todd Bowles pretty much went along for the ride the whole way. He just did what he was told. He was a good soldier. And yeah, obviously he had certain guys that he really pounded the table for. Apparently Darren Lee was one of them. So if I was him, I'd yeah. try and pin that on Mac if I could. Uh, but Mac, Mac pretty much did what he wanted to do. He deferred to coaches and he deferred to Hammerdinger, but Bulls didn't have the kind of control that I'm sure he would have liked, and he just kind of ate it and went along for along with the ride. I think Gase probably thought when he came in that McCagnan would defer to him or that he would have a lot more control in the, in the sense that Mac would go to him and say, hey, tell me what you need, and I'll go get it for you. And it, it seems like that's not really the way it's worked, and that's when Gase probably figured out he can't work with this guy. And so I, I think that that's really how all the trouble kind of came to be and where this all kind of played out in free agency in the draft. And then I think that Christopher Johnson, the straw that broke the camel's back was probably the fact that he realized that he was going to have to make a choice here because he didn't want to have to deal with the turmoil all year. And so that's why he went ahead and did what he did. But I also think, and again, I can't prove this and I'm not going to make an accusation, but I think there's a good chance that part of Gase working Woody, uh, excuse me, Christopher Johnson over over a period of months was him saying, hey, I've got this guy in Philly, Joe Douglas. He's great. His reputation is phenomenal. We yeah. can get him here. Probably was back channel talking to him and telling him about what he wanted to do for months. May have even gone in to Chris Johnson like, hey, here's the text messages. He says, I'm all in if, if you want me, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's probably what ended up going down with all of that as far as free agency, the draft, and how it ultimately exploded. Yeah, and a few more topics we'll hit on before we let you go on and do the Jukai Polite um, review. But with uh, the, the whole Bell thing and, and Mosley, and like, like I said, the thing with Gase and, and his, his roster and his building is I'm, I'm concerned with him outsmarting himself. Like we said, we, you need all pro players. You need pro ball players. Would you have not signed Mosley? Would you have not signed Bell, who is the – best second best third best running back in the league the the second third fourth best uh, inside linebacker in the league with guys like um you know Darius Leonard stepping up Who, where do you where do you rank everybody but you know two guys are, are easily top five at their position where they have not have signed those guys we have not have drafted Quinny Williams so I'm, I'm concerned with him going forward and and uh you know kind of outsmarting himself with with his roster he's gonna get rid of Bell after his two-year uh, deals up you know is he going to get rid of a player like Jamal Adams if he is he going to get rid of a player you know like Coleccio Samuel on a big contract if, even if he plays well because he doesn't need a guy on that big of a contract is he can get rid of Robbie and like, you know these are concerns that I have 
um, with a guy like like Gase and him controlling the roster because he's kind of a psychopath in certain ways. And I'm not just saying yeah. that. It's just he just shown that. So it's concerning. Now with Bell, um, you know, and, and there are so many conflicting reports that like you said, like thorny or whatever. It's like you, you, you'll, you'll hear one thing, like, okay, Peyton Manning, okay, they liked each other. Now Peyton Manning's getting – maybe he'll have a role here. Is that a complete guess? Probably. Now you're hearing – reports oh well maybe Peyton Manning will buy the team and maybe now he'll be GM like there's just there's just so many things that are kind of like people trying to get clicks so they're just there's kind of trying to connect dots that really shouldn't be connected um so there's always like kind of like you have to question everything but with Bell from what I what I've heard from you and from other guys is that he he's fine with Bell on the team now he's not they're not going to trade him for the people who think he's going to trade him there's just no there's no way because the team is not the not now anyway they're, yeah, they're not. They're, they have to take on that contract that they wouldn't sign them for anyway, and they have to give up a draft pick. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. They're not going to trade him this season. He's going to be on the Jets now. Um, with Bell, you know, maybe he didn't want to sign him to as big of a deal as he as he did, but he's on the team now, so it, so it is what it is. So, um, but I'm concerned a little bit with Bell and his thoughts. You know, I know he came out on Twitter and said that you know he he's he it is what it is. You know. Uh, he 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 doesn't really care about the reports. He doesn't know what's true, and he's here to just play football. But it's something you have to be concerned with, you know, as a player or as a fan. Like, okay, he just got signed here. Now all this crap's going on. Like, you have to question his mindset a little bit. Like, that kind of sucks. You know, you want to you want to see guys like you know, even like Quinn Williams. You see him get drafted. It's like, yeah, the Jets. You're so excited to be here. Then you see this stuff. They're kind of like, damn. Like, you want people to want to be on your team. Like, not have all this turmoil. So. Uh, the Bell thing, if you go a little bit farther into that, you know, did he not want to sign him? Uh, the, the trade thing, what are his thoughts? Um, and apparently they they came in, to, or, or, or they said there's reports that he he patched it up all, all with Bell. So uh, with, let's wrap up the Bell topic. I'm not really that worried about Bell in the sense that, he, look, he's a pro and he's had to deal with this kind of stuff before. I think that he's going to come in here and be – one of the best players in the league on offense, regardless, because that's just what he does. You look at his career, no matter what it was that happened, whether it was the suspensions or the thing with the franchise tender that he signed at the last minute or any other things on Instagram or whatever it is that anybody can point to. One thing that you know about Le'Veon Bell is that he produces period in a sentence and he does it better than, almost any player in the league and uh, at an elite clip right there with some of the best running backs that we've seen in the last decade or two. So I'm not super worried about that. What I am a little worried about, and I, and I should also backtrack and say, I'm not really worried about Gase using him because look, even if Gase didn't want him or it wasn't his preference, there's no question that he's not an idiot. And he knows that a bell is a great player and B if he wants to win games, he's going to have yeah. to use Le'Veon Bell as a very prominent part of this offense. So I'm not really worried about that aspect of it. The only thing I'll say is there would be a decent-sized cap hit, but I wouldn't be a 1,000% surprised if, say, Le'Veon Bell comes in here and has a really good year, but maybe he rubs Gase the wrong way or they don't see the eye-to-eye or whatever, and then at the end of the year he looks to ship him out. We've seen him do stuff like that in the past, uh, there are people that are saying, well, why would anybody give anything up for Le'Veon Bell now when they could have signed him for free? I mean, signed him without giving up compensation and blah, 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 blah. Well, let's remember, number one, if Le'Veon Bell goes elsewhere, more than half of that guaranteed money would have already been paid out. The other thing is that 
if Le'Veon Bell has a great season, you now have proof that he can still do it because maybe there were some teams that were a little nervous about him being 27 and having a year away. Well, if he comes in here, it's a great season. Now you can say, okay, he's still the great player that he was. And on top of it, we don't really have to pay him that much guaranteed money. So it's worth giving up whatever draft pick. So that would be my worry is that if they butt heads or they don't see eye to eye, that maybe at the end of the season, Adam Gase does something like that. Beyond that, though, I just think that whether – look, I think Le'Veon Bell's a human being. I'm sure he's not thrilled about the fact that he's hearing that his coach, who's now, for all intents and purposes, in control of the organization, didn't want him for whatever reason it is that they're saying that that was the case, whether it was the money, whether it was his persona, whether it was the fact that he was thinks he's smarter than he is and thought he could get more out of Tevin Coleman than he could, whatever the reason – I'm sure Bell is probably not thrilled about it, but I'm sure he'll get over it. He'll come into camp. Mm-hmm. He'll do his thing. Gase and him have been in contact. I'm sure Gase has been reassuring him. And like I said, it's all going to come down to whether or not Bell produces on the field. And I have no reason to think that he won't because he always has. Yeah, it's just, you know, as, as a fan, like you want people to be excited for your team. And like now if he, if he could rewind time and let's say, you know, we don't know the offers, but if he could have signed for the Ravens for nine and a half million dollars, would he have probably went back and signed them? Probably. Like this is not something that you necessarily want to hear. Uh, it is what it is now. But um, one of the last ones, Mosley, um, I just want to know what, exactly what you heard with that one because – there's been some reports that he didn't want Mosley. And then there was some reports that he wanted Mosley. He wanted that locker room type guy, um, you know, in, in his locker room. So. Yeah, that's pretty much how it is with Gase is that he likes those guys that kind of march to his drum. And that's another thing that going back to what I was saying, that I was worried about with him is that if you're an effective manager and you can talk to anyone that's a CEO or a good manager at a job, you can read books. I've read many books about, guys that are known for being some of the great managers in business, they'll tell you that the big thing, to the big part of success that really makes everything click is understanding your employees, knowing exactly how to get the best out of them, and then letting them do things the way that generates the best results. And it kind of reminds me of the story with Phil Jackson when he was the head coach in L.A., and somebody asked him, why do you criticize Shaq in public, but you never do it with Kobe? And he said, because Shaq can take it. Because Shaq was a military kid. He was used to getting yelled at and dressed down, criticized. He's got a thick skin. Kobe was a little more coddled. He grew up in a richer family. His father was an NBA player. So he wasn't used to taking that kind of criticism. But that's a big part of what being a head coach is, is being, in a sense, a psychologist, understanding the personalities, understanding the skill sets of the guys that you have and knowing how to push the right buttons and get the very most out of these guys. And that's something that I really worry a lot about with Gase. And with Le'Veon Bell, I think he'll be fine because, like I said, I think that he'll just kind of put this past him and he'll go out there and do what he usually does. But there are going to be other players where he could clash very badly with, and then we'll see. I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't want to scare anybody because I don't know this for a fact, obviously, and we're a couple of years away from it being a problem. I'm not going to say any specific names, but just think to yourself who the most outspoken member of this team is 
and think about how that could potentially rub Adam Gase the wrong way and what the ramifications of that could be if Adam Gase is still more or less calling the shots as far as the 53-man roster goes. So that, that's a lot of what I'm concerned about with Adam Gase. And this yeah. is why, like you said, Joe, they should have just fired everybody, started over, had a general manager who reports to the owner and a coach reports to the general manager because then you have one guy who is fully in control of the football operation. And, yes, you want a general manager and coach that can work well together, but you also want to make sure that there's one guy who's the last word. And unfortunately the Jets did things backwards again. And I just hope that it doesn't cost them. Yeah. Uh, now wrapping up with, uh, well, almost wrapping up, but with Chris Johnson uh, and, the, and the good thing about this too is like, listen, the guys they signed are on the team. Like you're not losing Mosley. Mosley's not just going to another team. You know, Le'Veon Bell is not going to the team. So at least they're signed. But uh, we went from McCagney, we went from Gates now with Chris Johnson um you you just have to and it just shows the farther like ineptitude that they have that he's just lost where you know he comes out and the press conference is awful you know he just took a deep dive into looking at the team and realized really uh, realizing how toxic it was was just um you know I, I think terrible so what are your thoughts your final you know thoughts on Chris Johnson what you've heard about him is you know is he as lost as everybody thinks he is it seems that way to me I mean if you want to look at this positively you could say he made a mistake, and then a couple months later, he realized the mistake. The problem for me is that it's hard for me to believe that he just somehow came to this conclusion without getting worked over by Gates. Because yeah. just think about this logically, and on top of it, what people have been reporting about what Gates was doing behind the scenes. But like, he gave Mike McCagney the full, uh, you know, his full vote of confidence. He let him run the draft. He let him spend all the money. He let him be in on the coaching hire. He kept him after getting rid of Todd Bowles. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he seems to realize that this guy needs to go. This to me seems like a guy who, as I said, is kind of easily manipulated and in over his head. And that should worry you because when you have an owner who doesn't seem to understand what his role is or how to most properly be an owner, you get situations like Daniel Snyder. And for as much as people want to say things about Jerry Jones, and Jerry Jones has plenty of shortcomings, Jerry Jones obviously was a football guy, so it's kind of different with him being a meddling owner as much as you still don't want that to be the case. But when you have a guy that's this clueless, I guess you could say, and being led in directions, you know, willy-nilly, it makes you it makes you nervous because for him to come out and say, I just took a deep dive into this, I mean, if that's true, that's yeah. the worst thing of all because mm -hmm. if you really decided to keep this guy, let him do all those things, let him be in on hiring the next coach before you decided to take a look at this, that's just really, I mean, I don't know how much more incompetent yeah. you could be. And it's and it's kind of concerning too. We're like, you know, say what you want about Woody Johnson. This is Woody Johnson Johnson's baby. This is his team. So passing off to mm -hmm. Chris Johnson is Chris Johnson as invested as Woody Johnson would be for for better or for worse. You know, so it's another question you have to raise. And uh, people are talk, like talking about Max. Like, oh well, he bought the ingredients. Let let him cook with them. He bought the ingredients. He doesn't cook with the ingredients because he doesn't coach the team. I think McCagden 
this mm-hmm. offseason. I and, and people, I I heard this quote on your on your uh, mailbag or whatever show it was. We're like, okay, well, if you you know if they hired, let's say Douglas at the beginning of the, uh, the offseason, we came away with Quentin Williams, Mosley, Bell, and all that Osemele and all this stuff. Would you be happy? And yes, but um, obviously they saw it as a flammable situation, so they got rid of him. So I, I think he got. You know, uh, your Mac got Gase a variety of different spices and and shrimp and surf and turf and all this stuff, and he just has to kind of deal with it now, and hopefully he can. But g- getting past all of that, um, unless you have any more to add, which I'll ask you at the end if you have anything else to add. But uh, the the candidates, what are you hearing about that? Joe Douglas is a guy who uh, you I know you could speak a lot better about him, but he was with the Ravens for for many Super Bowls. He was with the Eagles for their Super Bowl. He was thought to be a really good builder of a roster and good uh you know college scouting type guy. There's been some rumors that he's uh, kind of tied with Daniel Jeremiah, where Daniel Jer- Jeremiah of NFL Network would be in a, in a higher scouting type role. We've heard some things about Peyton Manning. So uh, what have you been hearing with guys who, who you know, could potentially be hired? You know, Joe Douglas, what are your thoughts on him, Daniel Jeremiah, et cetera? So as far as Peyton Manning, I don't see that happening. I think that's just one of those things that the Jets might be floating out there to get attention. And I think that a lot of these websites want clicks. Yep. So they know that if they throw Peyton Manning out there, that and he obviously has ties to Gase. So it's kind of one of those things where we'll throw this out there and see what happens. From what I gather, Peyton Manning's real interest is in being a partial owner of a team. I don't see the Johnsons being willing to sell him a piece of the Jets. So I don't think he's going to be involved in any real way. As far as the guys that are really heavily rumored to be the guys to replace McCagnan, You just hit on it. Joe Douglas, who's the VP of player personnel for the Eagles, and Daniel Jeremiah, a former scout for the Ravens, who helped build the Super Bowl team and who also now is very well known for his Move to Six podcast and for his role with NFL Network. Those two, Douglas and Jeremiah, worked together with Baltimore. Joe Douglas was in Baltimore a long time. He was with the Bears for a bit. That's where he met Gase, and then he was in Philly. From everything you hear, he's well-regarded around the league, has a track record for doing a good job. And Daniel Jeremiah, we kind of know what he likes in a player because it's a rare case of a guy being so public with his scouting preferences. I think that in in a bubble, in a vacuum, both guys would be great because, listen, you never know what's going to happen when you elevate a guy. For instance... Douglas could be great as a VP of player personnel, but maybe he's not great once he's elevated a general manager and he has to handle all the other tests. Yeah. Right. So we don't know. I mean, whenever you hire a guy and you promote him, it's the same way that when you elevate a coordinator, you don't know if he's going to be a good head coach. It's kind of like that. He seems like an excellent prospect. And the same thing with Daniel Jeremiah. If he were to come in here and say be director of college scouting, just based on what we know of him, he seems like he would be an excellent fit for the role. But again, he's never done it, so we don't know for sure. I think both guys would be a good hire in a vacuum. The problem is, even if this is, say, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge deal that has been in the works for a couple of months, which could be the case, and the Jets are just waiting to do their Rooney Rule interview, and then they're going to get him in here. Ultimately, Adam Gase is still going to be the guy who is going to get his way when he wants it. So in Miami, from what Travis Wingfield told me, Gase had control of the 53-man roster. He was the most important man in the building other than the owner himself. But what he would do is he would go to the scouts or he would go to Tannenbaum or whatever, and he would say, okay, I want this 
get me this. So he might say to Tannenbaum, I want uh, an offensive lineman or whatever, which he didn't do, but you get what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. using an example. Go get me an offensive lineman that can, that can be a good uh, power blocker in the run game. So then Tannenbaum knows, okay, here's what Gase wants. And it was the same thing with the draft. It was, okay, I like these kinds of players, and I want such and such type for my system. Go ahead and scout and find me the best guys that can do that. So it, it, with the small stuff, he may not be as much involved. It may just be, okay, here's what I want. You carry it out. But then, of course, there's going to be the instances where he's going to want specific players. He's going to want to make specific moves. And he's going to have the ability to do that because even if Joe Douglas comes in here and theoretically has control of the 53-man roster, which he would have to have because according to reports, the only way that he could be hired uh, other than the Eagles just letting him go, which by all accounts is not going to happen, would be if they were to give him control of the 53-man roster. Ultimately, Gase is the one who got him in here and he's Gase's guy. So even if he isn't necessarily a quote-unquote puppet where Gase is making every single move, because that's where people don't understand. It's not – when we say that he's Gase's guy and that Gase will still be pulling the strings, we don't mean that Gase is going to be dictating every single last move because nobody's going to do that. But what he is going to do is basically say, here's what I want, go get it. And when there's going to be certain – moves or certain players that he wants, he will get his way because let's say Douglas maybe has a little disagreement with him. Gates is going to be like, hey, Joe, remember when I got you this job? Because that's the reality of this. The, whoever comes in here, they're looking for somebody that can work with Gates. And what that means is somebody tied to Gates, which means that they're going to be getting this job in large part because of a relationship they have with Gates and an ability to work with Gates, which means that Gase is still going to really be the most important man in the building. So even if he doesn't have control of the 53-man roster in a technical sense, he still will. So that's what kind of worries me about this. Now, on the flip side, what you could say, and Joe, if you're being an optimist, and I know that you're the most optimistic guy there is. (laughs) Um, That's fine. You could say, well, all right, Gase will have his way on the big stuff that he really wants to, and he's going to – want certain guys for a system and so on and so forth. But if Douglas and Jeremiah are really good at identifying good players and, and bringing them in, then it's still a win. And that's true. That could very well be the case. But the problem of course is going to be that now Gase has way more power than he has any right to have. Christopher Johnson has shown you that he's in way over his head. And so you have Adam Gase being the mad puppeteer Christopher Johnson being the guy who seems to be easily pushed in a certain direction. And now we're going to have a situation too, where anything that's good, Gates could kind of take credit for and anything that's bad, he could sort of insinuate that it was Douglas's call or something. But realistically, when Gates wants a move to be made, it's going to get made. That's just the reality of it. And I think that people that are trying to deny that don't really understand how these things work. Yeah, just a few more minutes with you, Scott. Um, and with that, I know that the Eagles are going to do everything in their power to keep Douglas. And basically, if they don't give him 
Um, you know, if they don't give him power of the 53, they can, they can block him because he'd be more of a lateral move. Um, but yeah, I, I would like the signing just, just based on his resume, working with the Ravens, they won Super Bowls, uh, working with the Eagles who have built a, a pretty good roster. I, I think it'd be something that, uh, you know, that, that would benefit the Jets. I think it'd be a very good hire just based on, on his resume. So I'd like to see that. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it's just a winning rule and that's what's holding it up. But um, fifth three man control or not, you know, like you said, Gates to be pulling some strings there. They're friends. They'll they'll be he'll have heavy input into what is going on um, with with the roster and things like that. But anything else to and, and I want to just re- like quickly recap just because it's been you know a month since I've been on like some roster moves that they made. <laughs> but is there any is there anything uh, else that you want to add to the whole discussion of Gase and and the Johnsons and McCagney before we just quickly move on to uh, some minor roster moves? The best way I could put this is I put out a tweet not long after this happened, and I think that it really in 280 characters did a reasonably good job of articulating my overall thoughts on this whole situation. And so what I said in my tweet was Mac should have been fired in January rather than now Christopher Johnson firing Mac after allowing him to hire a coach or take part in hiring a coach spend big in free agency and run the draft shows that Christopher Johnson has no idea what he's doing and Gase is in complete control, but has done nothing to show that he deserves that kind of power in 280 characters. I think that pretty much summed up exactly yeah. what my feelings are on it. Yeah. It's just, it's just so flammable with, with even with Greg Williams and then with Gase and the power, the potential power struggle there, then with, with Gase bringing in his guy and are they going to have a power struggle between each other than incompetent owners and, it's it's a lot. I, I just wish it was a much more clean situation, like I said, where they brought in, let's just say, Matt Rule and Joe Douglas or any other or, or GMX, you know, Joe Smith and 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 you know whoever uh, Bruce Allen. Like I think Bruce Allen's an actual guy, but you know what I'm saying like, I would have rather just had a much cleaner situation where I don't have to worry about Gates, I don't have to worry about this, I don't have to worry about that. There's just so many factors that go into this right now. So hopefully it works out. Joe Douglas comes in, they build a good roster. Gase is a psychopath who gets this one Super Bowl and then he's fired in a couple of years. Like you never, you never really know, but uh, moving on from that, because we've been talking about it for a while and you kind of got Scott's overall thoughts. You got, uh, you know, a little bit of a look into mine. It's just, it's just kind of annoying where it's like, really this is happening. Look at a couple of tweets and then go back to watching, you know, Jets Dolphins week nine. Um, so that's the benefit of what I do, but <laughs> roster move, just because I've been gone, I want to recap really quick. Rashad Robinson was cut of uh, what if they traded a fifth round pick from, I don't think it was a bad trade at the time to be completely honest and not to just defend Mac, but guy with the took a shot you took a shot on a guy who was a starter for for the 49ers and, and it got demoted so i don't think it was really a, a terrible trade but he got cut he's on the roster um and then the other move was and, and you can you could uh, if there is any other you know i don't want to know about like guys who were like you know practice squad guys who got signed or whatever like that's that's stuff that we don't really care about but then the league got traded which going back not going back to the gays thing but just kind of commenting gays me like that was like kind of like puffing his chest out he, he was an interim gm for three mm-hmm. minutes and then traded a yep. first round draft pick like that's just showing like what yep. kind of mentality he has yep. could he have waited an extra week or two and maybe try to get more or whatever let the new gm do it yes but he wanted to puff his chest out um that was like, a shot at mac right off of the bow that was him saying hey yeah you know that move that i've been trying to get you to make for three months and you've been spinning your wheels Guess what? Now it's done. How do you like that? Yeah, well, and, and apparently Mac wanted a fifth-round pick. You know, what I've liked a little bit more 
Yes, am I upset? No, because he was going to be a backup linebacker, and that would I've liked to see him use. You know, could have Greg Williams used him? You know, to spell Avery Williamson or Mosley for a little bit if they're tired. Yeah, or on some blitzes. Yeah, or some coverage. You know, for sure. But he's a backup linebacker. You just draft another linebacker who is kind of Darren Daron Lee ish or Darren Lee ish. Um, where, you know, we went into Cashman before, and I'm going to go into Cashman and do the review of him, but you have another backup linebacker who you just you just drafted. So I've looked more, yes, but uh, I think this was more of just Gase puffing his chest out. I'm not really too mad about the trade because he's going to be gone next year anyway. So, Yeah, that about sums it up. I think that the majority of the lunacy that's gone on since the draft has been surrounding the Game of Thrones-like situation in the front office and with the coaching okay. staff. So other than that, yeah, it was just minor tweaks here and there. And now we wait to see if they do something like bring back Morris Claiborne or bring in a Michael Crabtree and just kind of round out the roster. Yeah, it's something I've, I've spoke about too. I think they just need to address backup safety, fourth string wide receiver, hopefully with Crabtree. Um, Claiborne would be a good sign and maybe a depth guard or center. Um, but Scott, anything else to, to add to the situation or anything else before we uh, let you go any, or any final thoughts that you want to uh, promote or do anything, do anything you want right now? Well, first of all, just to finish up, I guess my overall thoughts on this is, and I think I told this to you before we started recording with Mike McCagnin, it was Chinese torture, death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> you knew that you were going to die and you knew that it was going to be a slow death and it was going to, be really, really painful. So I'm glad that he's gone. But at the same time with Adam Gase, this is either going to somehow find a way to work out against the expectations of myself and some others, or this is going to blow up and explode like a bottle rocket. So we're going to see pretty quickly, if nothing else, probably won't be very boring around here. That's for sure. It'll be uh, an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Real quickly, I guess, yeah, just uh, for anybody that hasn't subscribed to the Play Like a Jet feed, Go ahead and do it. Joe's on all the time talking about film. We do X and O quick hits. The most recent one we did was Shakai Polite, but pretty soon we're going to reveal the one that we did about the other draft picks after Shakai Polite and even throwing Greg Dorch, the undrafted free agent, as an extra little gem there. Michael Mania comes on to talk about all his nerdy statistics stuff, which is a lot of fun always. We get a bunch of different uh, guests to talk about uh, various things. You know, During the draft, I had Jim Colburn on to talk about the data of the players that the Jets were considering. Brett Coleman came on, who you know very well, Joe. He's a guy that is really, really great at breaking down film as well, and he spent a lot of time doing draft stuff. Connie Carber came on, who was the very first female scout in the NFL. He used to be a scout for the Jets. Chris Nimbley's on all the time, the beat writer from Jets Insider. Daryl Slater from NJ.com comes on quite a bit. We're working our way through a history series on the career of Wesley Walker, who's one of the greatest players to ever play for the Jets. And I have to say, I'm... Really happy with the fact that Wesley opened up to us to the point where he talked about things that he's never talked about before ever publicly. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that series yet, we've got seven parts so far. We've had to put it on hold for a bit just because of all this craziness with the front office and the coaching staff and everything. But we're we're working our way through that. And yeah, just a, a daily feed. We've got new podcasts coming every single day. So if you're not subscribed and you're a big Jets fan, give us a shot and hopefully you like it. If you don't like it, then, uh, hey, it was free and you didn't then lose anything. Screw you. <laughs> All right, exactly. Scott. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we appreciate you coming on and I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon for sure. Joe, pleasure as always. And I look forward to our 3 a.m. conversation about why Greg Dorch is running lazy routes. <laughs>
and how uh, Shell is opening up his hips too soon and doing 45 degree sets instead of vertical sets. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> exactly. All right. I just took my own little break because once you're sitting here for, you know, two hours recording a podcast, you do have to uh, use the, the bathroom at times. So I took my own little commercial break because we don't really have commercial breaks, but we appreciate Scott for, um, you know, jumping on with us and, and talking about all this stuff because, uh, listen, like I said, I'm, I'm a film guy. I don't really pay attention to all the, all the crap that's going on. I, I evaluate the players and you know, I have an opinion about that stuff, but Scott's really good in laying it out and kind of hitting certain talking points I wanted to have him on. Um, but now we're going to get into the the draft. Uh, overall, I'm going to talk about each individual picks, but overall, I, I think it was, it was a really good draft class when you look at the value of the guys that they got. Um, where they got them. They got the best player in the draft. They got Ja'Kai Pillay, who I'm going to talk about. And just with Quentin Williams, you've, if you've been listening to my show, you've been listening to like Scott's podcast, like, like you should be, he mentioned, I'm always on there talking about prospects. He's my number one prospect in the class. I showed why I thought that. Um, so I'm really, really happy they got him. Made a great pick. It's funny, actually, because, you know, just to let you in on it. And like I said, I got engaged that, that night. Um, and for people who call me stupid for not, you know, for getting engaged that night, I am stupid because I didn't even think about it. I planned it like December. I was like, what is April 25th? Like, I have no idea what that day is. Like, it's just some, if something feels weird about the day, figured out that I, that I did a, you know, the freaking the, the draft was that night, but I already bought the hotel, no, no refund type crap to get a cheaper price. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I was walking back from an engagement dinner. We had dinner, a really nice restaurant in uh, Niagara Falls around the like, Canadian side because American side sucks. And uh, I was going to watch on my phone and couldn't watch my phone. So I was like, crap, I'm going to order an Uber to get back to the hotel so I can, I can see the draft. It's like 7.45 or 15 minutes before the draft. I forget if it started at 8 or 9 o'clock. Like, damn, like I need to get back. Couldn't call an Uber because there's no Ubers because there's just no Ubers in Canada, apparently. Like, you, they can get you, but there's none in my area. Like, they have to be within a certain radius. So then I called Scott, and then he walked me through the pick. And when they picked Quentin Williams, we both, like, screamed. Like, I was just so happy. I wanted him all along. They got him. So that's fantastic. And if I was a good YouTube editor, I would point like something like this. Like, everybody was like, oh, click link below. So click link below. Um, it'll be in the description of the show. I already did a whole show on, on Quentin Williams, so you, you could get my thoughts there. I, I Fantastic pick. A-plus a pick. The best player in the draft. I would have drafted him at number one if I was the Jets. That's how much I like that guy. So uh, I'm going to put the link below. I'll put Quentin Williams, film review or whatever. Click on that, and there's an hour and something minutes of me talking and breaking down his film if you didn't watch it, um, which you, which you should have. But uh, really, really happy about that pick. Overall, the other picks, we'll get into all of them individually. But the second pick that they made, they didn't have a second-round pick. Ja'Kai Polite which we talked about, uh, I don't know if you talked about my, my fiance now, which is weird to say, but uh, she's a gem because it was funny. We're actually driving back that Friday night and it was pouring rain on the front. I remember April 26th. Oh yeah, it was raining hard that day, but yeah, it was raining hard that day. We're driving back from Canada the entire time. You know, I didn't have ESPN radio. So uh, it was pouring so hard out that I couldn't just listen to my phone on my lap because it was raining so hard. I couldn't hear what they were saying. She actually held it up to my ear and listen, let me listen to every single draft pick, which is just find a girl to do that for you. Just uh, marry her. So that is what I'm doing. Um, but Ja'Kai Polite, great pick there. He was very low on my board of the guys I did um, because of the fact of uh, everything that's happened off the field with him. Now, listen, he's a guy who he didn't, he didn't beat a woman. He's not Tyreek Hill. He didn't fail a drug test. What happened uh, was that there was a couple different reports that he came in overweight, which he did. You could tell he just wasn't athletic. He wasn't as fast. I know he ran like a 4.84, but he is not a player who runs like a 4.84. He's a player who looked like he would run a, a 4.5, mid 4.5, maybe high 4.5. Um, so that's not the player he was on film. He screwed up some interviews. He had some bad interviews with the Packers. 
Um, they were not happy with him. And he's a 21-year-old kid who they probably asked him some questions that he didn't really know how to answer. He, didn't, he wasn't mature enough to answer them. Uh, his, his, whoever his agent was did, did not prepare him very, very well for this. So he probably got asked a ton of questions he didn't know how to respond to, and it, it did not make him look good. So he came into the combine overweight, which he played at like 235 and came into the combine like 250. Or actually a little bit, maybe a little bit heavier. So the Jets can play him around like 240, 245. I think he'd be fairly effective. And there's a difference between adding the whatever weight he did and adding weight that a strength and conditioning coach wants you, you know, wants you to add. So um, he wanted to prove to, to to guys that he could play at a, at a higher weight, and it did not work out well for him apparently. And this is just might be a cover up, uh, just to make it seem a little better that there's a hamstring injury too. And he tried to play play through it to show how tough he was. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a report. It could be just coming from his camp that wanted to to say that that's why it was so bad. But overall, bad combine, bad with interviews, bad forty time, not as athletic as some people thought. So that's why he dropped for. But on film, when I watched him on film. He was a guy who was contending right there with with uh with um Brian Burnsman. Now Brian Burns w- would have finished higher. I always had it was always it was Bosa, um Bosa Allen Burns and then Jakai Polite was my next guy. I thought Jakai Polite was going to be he could have gone as early as ten eleven and went as late. I thought late would be like twenty five for him would be like a late. I don't know exactly the spots, but I think he would be anywhere from like uh, he would be like a mid first round pick. So they get a mid first round pick talent. Um, in the third round, I thought was a very, very good pick. And there's not really anybody at, at that spot that I would have taken over him. Some other picks, like, you know, look at Chumo Dogo, which we'll talk about, do a show on him. Uh, the next, by the way, the next two shows, or the next couple of shows, is I'm, I'm going to do Chumo Dogo and uh, Trayvon Wesco. Then I'm going to do Blake Cashman and Greg Dortch. And then after that, I'll do Osemele, then M- Montgomery and Poole, or Poole, then Montgomery. And then, like I said, I'm going to be doing like a Sam Donald review with Jamal Adams review and all that stuff. So that should be fun. Uh, and like I said, too, Reviews are always appreciated. The new show, if you listen, I get it. If you're a Jets fan, you just want to hear Jets stuff, don't subscribe. That's completely fine. But if you are a guy who wants to learn, you want to see me talk about other players, and okay, well, you know, Joe said this about Robbie Anderson. What makes Odell Beckham so good? I just want to learn, you want to watch, whatever you're that big of a football fan. Um, I really appreciate it. Or even if you, if you see me do a video on, like, let's say I do, you know, Odell Beckham, you know, a Browns fan, and, you know, tell all Browns fans about it. So like, it would be really great if you guys can spread the word a little bit about that and, and subscribe and listen to players you don't you want to listen to maybe you don't want to listen to Odell Beckham but if I do a show about Aaron Donald you want to you want to hear about Aaron Donald who by the way is in my first show and I'm planning on doing a little cross show with him and uh Quentin Williams maybe if I could do it I'll, I'll see how it works out to see some of those similar techniques that they use um, and why people compare the the techniques that they use so um, Joe, it's going to be Joe's Joe apostrophe S film room, uh, on iTunes. You have to do two shows to be able to pop up. So you're not gonna be able to find the podcast app. I'm going to put a link for the YouTube channel, uh, below in the description as well. So subscribe to that if you could, I really appreciate it. Um, but let's get into Jakai Polite's, um, film. Just give me two seconds here. I have to extend it, pause it and bring it up. So just give me a second. All right, I want to go through his uh, strengths and weaknesses first before I go into the film. I'm a little bit rusty. It's been, like I said, a month, but I apologize for that. But with the engagement and with this uh, this whole freaking dry socket thing, for people who have had it, you know it sucks and it's, it hurts to talk. Even even still, it's kind of annoying. My mouth is still swollen. It's been freaking 15 days. It's ridiculous. But uh, Google it if you want. It sucks. So strengths that I listed, um, variety of pass rush moves, including cl- uh, cross chops, chops, hesitation, arm, arm overs, swipes, double swipes, long arms, spins, ice picks, uses athleticism uh, with extended arms to stack and shed, great athleticism, top end burst, second gear, which is like a second, third, fourth step uh, while rushing the arc is elite, um, loose hips, bend, will knife through gaps in the run game, will wrong arm blockers, which I'll show, 
will also use a fake uh, wrong arm, which I'll show to get leverage outside. Um, lessens body with shoulder dips while rushing. Plays with hair on fire. Good technique all around. Uh, for the most part, acceleration, stop-start ability, springy, fights hard in the run game, ankle flexibility, overall flexibility, good feel for avoiding contact and rush, uh, speed and counter moves is very quick, lateral quickness, awareness, sets up angles well, weaknesses, uh, small frame, short arms, once locked up by offensive linemen, it's hard for him to disengage because of arm length and, uh, and overall strength. Uh, recoil out of two-point stance limits, limits his first step from elite to just very good, which I'll show. Um, can see him press too hard upfield, opening big gaps in run game. Typically loses at the point of attack um, in the run game as well uh, if, if he's just coming head on. A huge question if he can sustain extra weight at NFL level while keeping speed. He needs to gain some extra weight. Can he uh, and sustain that speed? It's, like I said, it's a question. Want to see more overall hand usage uh, while uh, – I don't know if I put it while, but will get pushed up arc if Lyman gets hands on. Uh, lack of overall strength because of size, needs to win cleanly while creating, uh, having softer edges, and showed up at combine with unnecessary weight and bombed interviews I put down there. So let's look at the first play where I'm going to look at some, let's see, give me two seconds. <clears throat> um, all right, so he is the bottom right here. Uh, Two-point stance, obviously, just the difference between two is the contact points, so two feet. On the ground, if a hand was in the ground, three point, two hands on the ground, four point, you're never in a one point stance. So, two, three, or four point stance. And here you see, I talk about like some of the some of the recoil. You see this, like how, how you just want to be ready to go off the snap, how there's this like this, like this slight step back, which I have a better example, but the slight step back and bend. You see how it takes a good, whatever it is, quarter of a second. That limits his first step for me, his first step from elite to um, very, very good in, in my opinion. So you see, but you see some of the, the speed he has after that. And to get to one, to make the, the tackle open his hips up. But this is one of the, the problems in his game comes to where I said he needs to have a really soft edge or beat him cleanly. Because if they're able to get their hand on you and, and push you up the arc, whether it be your, their, you know, their right hand, left hand, inside, outside, on the hip, on the shoulder, he doesn't have the, the balance through his, I mean, the uh, strength through his bend where you could see where he wants to flatten out you know, at the whatever yard line this is, let's call it the uh, 43 yard line, which it looks like the 43 yard line, 43, maybe the 42. But because he doesn't have that strength, he gets pushed up. See right there. It's very slight, but that happens where he wants to stay on this angle because he doesn't have that, that power. He's uh, he gets pushed up the arc. So he does need to um, get a little bit stronger in, in, in his game to be, I think a full-time player and, and even just to improve in his, in his I got to rearrange my hall. Just give me a second. Like I said, I'm rusty, and like I'm there's so many freaking windows on my my screen right now. I'm at the rearrange them and show and blah 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 blah. So second play here. Let's get it. Let's get into it. You have to give. You have to let me break the rust off of of uh, podcasting and doing all this video share type crap. Um, again, two point stance on the bottom. He's playing like over the tight end. He might play in man. You see that again. That like recoil again which he's kind of showing like he like when a guy's like this with his hands on his knees he doesn't really look like he's gonna rush so maybe he's trying to give the uh kind of eye, not eye candy but he's trying to uh misdirect the quarterback where he's he's not looking at, he's gonna rush right now um rushes up the arc and you see that explode like you see how fast he is right here it doesn't look that great because of the because of that first step and that, and that recoil doesn't look like he's ready but he has really really good good speed um, around that edge where the, the tackle has to open up, you know, pretty much immediately 
and try to get a hand on. Now, when he when he's, you see the dip around the corner, you see how he lessens his shoulder right here. So he's attacking more direct angle and then dips to get around. You can see, and I'll show some more of the uh, the hip and torso mobility where you want your hips and your torso to be able to turn away from each other because if your if your torso is going away from the tackle, so if I'm, so if you're watching on the video right right now, you can see me. You know, if let's say if I'm coming up the, the left or the right edge, if I if my shoulders are dipping away to to give a less contact point in my chest, while my, my while my hips are still going you know this way, while my shoulders are turned this way, to because you want your hips to flatten out and run towards the quarterback, while your shoulders are turned, if you can't disconnect your upper and your lower body while running uh that's what i talk about hip and torso mobility then you're not gonna be able to turn that corner very well and he has the ability to have his hips going forward while his while he's moving his upper body to get through gaps and knife through gaps etc um but right here he sees that the running back is coming up to to help um to block him nice nice pretty tight tight spin move right here he he would he's gonna get back inside right here if the quarterback was not scrambling obviously it took him a little bit longer to get there but he was gonna spin inside he's probably gonna get a sack here now he that the he takes a, not the best angle right here because he should see you want to see him know that the quarterback is is, is scrambling so you want to see him take a little bit more or not as horizontal aggressive as an angle but you see some of the effort here you see you see the speed so he he definitely the player and I've heard some people say like recently like oh he, some of the work ethic concerns there's no work ethic concerns with him especially on the on the field he gives effort um so if somebody says that I don't I, I did not see that on film really at all but nice effort there um. By play to get that, you know, uh, to get the tackle and to to run ten yards on the field there. So, all right, I have three more plays, or actually, I, I think we have more than three plays against uh, LSU here, but three pretty good plays of of polite. Um, you're gonna see him right here again. He's a he's in a two point stance on the, uh, you know, the defense is left, the offense is right. So he's he's uh, gonna rush against the right tackle who it does not block him um, because they're gonna have the running back block him at the, as the offensive line is in a like a slide gap protection um slide protection just in slide and gap protection slide protection is like okay uh you know the the and this is not a great example for for slide protection um because slide protection is like okay the left tackles don't take this guy the the left guards don't take the next guy the the centers don't take the next guy like they have assignments like they're going to block the guy no matter what we're gapping get like a like a like a gap protection where they're moving horizontally where they're like looks like they're sliding so like a, like a slide gap protection is they're going to slide and it's almost more like a zone where they're going to take their gaps so if there's a bunch of twists and stunts they're going to just stay in their zone where a slide protection is more like okay you take this guy so there's a little bit of differences in, in, a, in a gap protection and a slide protection um, but it's kind of hard to reference a gap protection because usually they slide in that gap protection but it's a little bit it's different it's like it's like man blocking and zone blocking the, the difference of that um, but he's in the bottom right here you see some of the a little bit of the recoil right here, and you're just gonna see speed. And then when he gets to the running back, you can see he's rushing the running back square. The running back is leaving way too much space inside here, and he's and not taking his feet with him into the block. But you can see uh, right here, he gives him a little like hesitation, almost like a crossover where right foot inside, left foot outside, hard plant, and jumps inside. So you see some of the athleticism he has right there. I'll play it in full speed in a second so you can see how fast it happens. But he gives him like a hesitation crossover move um, to beat him. And, you know, this I had a people like on Twitter like recently, like, oh, well, the quarterback got rid of the ball. It's not a good play. So the fact that he did this and, and beat that running back that bad and showed that speed and that athleticism, that means it's a bad play because of the, the completion. Like, you got to be crazy. You got you to look at individuals versus the, the, the rep. Like, okay, was it a good rep for the team? 
Uh, the result, I guess not, but this is still a good rep for the individual player. So good play by him there. Like I said, the quarterback got rid of the ball, uh, you know, too fast for him to to get there. Next play is again versus the LSU, and he is on the bottom two-point stance. He rushes a lot from two-point stance. I think he'd actually be better in a three or a four um, as like a wide nine in this Greg Williams defense because that's what he's going to fit. He's not going to be a defensive end. He's not going to play four-three end. Um, in this defense, unless he's like a four-three end, he's wide line up as like a as a nine, um, which is more of like an outside linebacker. But I see him with his hand in the dirt because it re- reduces some of the recoil that he does have. Uh, if you put this guy in a four-point stance or three-point stance, he fires off the ball. Um, so he's on the bottom here. Again, the tackle opens his hips. You don't you as a tackle offensive lineman, you really want to keep you really want to work to keep square with with a line of scrimmage. Your shoulders square, your hips square. Um, you know, for the most part now, if he's going to pass you, that's when you open up your hips um, as he's even, but he opens up his hips too, too early right here, the tackle, but uh, Ja'Kai Polite sees that he sees the gap inside and really, really nice tight spin move here where he, you, you see the plant right here or plant inside step. And what happens is because he knows that his shoulders, when you do a spin move and a good, a well-executed spin move, your, your shoulder and the spin is going to take care of that inside arm because when you're going to punch, if you're punching and you're going to punch a shoulder that's not there, that, that, that hand's going to land on the back and then you're just going to spin off of that. So there's really no point of even touching that outside arm unless he comes maybe like over with like a, with like a clamp or a half moon as they call it um, or like a hug technique. But um, the, for the most part, even if it's a hug technique or like a half moon or a clamp, it, that, that back usually takes care of it unless, unless the, uh, tackles really delayed in, in punching that, but that's not usually what happens. So he chops down that outside arm. You see right there, the left versus the left, chops that down to get rid of that arm, and like a two two step basically spin move where it's one, two, and he's on that angle already. Usually it takes it can take people three steps, it can take people four steps, but really nice tight spin move, chopping that outside arm, the 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 spin taking care of that that inside hand. Um, you can see him too right here with the tight elbow. So when you spin you want that outside arm to, to elbow because you're, you're, you're generating power and you're throwing them forward off of you. If you don't throw that elbow, maybe they can recover. But when you're throwing that elbow, a nice tight elbow to the guy, it, it rocks him back. Um, plus, it, it gets you on a path to the quarterback where if you're, if you're spinning against like no post, it's almost like a post that you're, like you're, you're posting up. So it gives you kind of a uh, – there's so many ways to describe this stuff. But if you think about it, if you're spinning and you're just spinning into nothing, you can't like stop your momentum. So he spins into his throw this elbow and that kind of deflects some of his momentum. So then he's able to stop quicker and go towards the quarterback. If you know what I'm saying, um, there's always ways to better describe stuff at times, but that's basically what's happening here is he's, he's actually helping himself get on a flatter angle and get right to the quarterback with that spin move. Plus throw him off. You see right here, throws him off right there. Now, he's, he tried to recover there, too, and that's how you recover on a spin move is you're going to spin around like that and try to get him. But hits the quarterback. Um, not sure it was a fumble or incomplete. It looks like an incomplete, though, because his arm was just coming forward. But a uh, really, really nice spin move from, from Ja'Kai Play. By the way, I have 35 plays of him, so this is going to be a long podcast. But uh, you guys haven't seen me in about a month, so I guess you deserve it. But this is going to be pretty lengthy. So... Next play, again, bottom edge, two-point stance. Um, it's like a seven-tech. You can almost call it a wide five, whatever you want to call it. But, again, really, really good speed. up The up the, the tackle literally doesn't get a hand on him um, because he's just so fast. And you can see he, he really likes to attack more inside here 
where the tackle might feel comfortable to punch, and then at the last second he he alt or he'll get, he'll give you like short strides inside, and then once you're about to you're in that contact window, he take he'll take a hard step outside. You see the alter the stride right there, short stride, short stride, and then alter the stride, boom outside. He likes to attack you at short strides and, and then take one burst outside. So, so he makes you feel, you know, kind of like locks your foot into the ground, which I have a good example of that coming up in a little bit. But uh, the running back comes to help and he sees the running back uh, coming to help and he, and he plays it pretty well. Um, the running back gives up his chest right here, which you don't want to do. But Jakai Polite, you know, gets into him, gets his hands inside, extends him, pushes him off right here. Nice, nice, nice extension. Uh, you know, nice strength against the, you know, it's against a running back, but still good strength right here. And he chases down the uh, the quarterback for a sack. So I'll play that in full speed to get a little bit more appreciations of. He's he's that that's he's fast off that edge right there. That's that that is nice. And like I said, hands inside extension, and this burst too is is pretty impressive. You see from right here. That's impressive burst. So nice play for uh or from Drakai Plate for that sack right there. All right, got a few plays versus uh Georgia right here. And the first play is not a good one. It's one of the times where I talk about how he gets stuck at the point of attack, and the play goes completely away from it, um, from him. But you can see him on the top of the screen right here, and he's getting blocked versus a tight end, and he gets he gets stood up versus a tight end and 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 kind of driven backwards a little bit. Um, now he does like almost like that bridge technique where he kind of throws his hips forward and, his, and he has an arch in his back. I call it like a bridge for an offensive lineman, um, where a bridge is actually one of your strongest points. But you don't want to see him get stood up by by a, a tight end like that. But that was a, that was a really really quick um, video. N- next one is another example of him getting pushed up that arc when he doesn't have a really clean edge, or, or I mean I'm I'm in a really soft edge. So you see, again, good good explosion. Little bit of the recoil. See, you want to see him be, be more ready to rush. It's you know that that delay in that in that bent. See, I, see, what I'm talking about this. That's wasting time. You waste the entire time the the ball from the so from the ball to the quarterback. That's considered like two steps. So this like if, if you just got the ball right here and threw it, which he doesn't. He hands it off. But that's a three step drop. That's what you consider like for a corner. Um, so he wastes two quarterback steps right here um, with that little recoil. So he needs to he needs to work on that. Put some more put some more weight on that on that front foot, um, or just you know straight just go to a three or four point stance. That helps when you when you see him in rushing a three point three or four point stance. That that really helps him at times. But again, he rushes you know a little bit more inside and alters his angle at the last second here and tries to use like a double swipe or a chop or a swat. But the offensive lineman is able to just get that really hard swat to his outside shoulder and see how far that pushes him up the arc. That pushes him like five yards up the arc. So um, there's some concerns there with with the weight and how light he is. And then listen, if a guy in Georgia's left tackle can do this versus him, then what is Tyron Smith, a really good tackle in the NFL, going to do? The offensive line, see, this is what I'm talking about, the offensive lineman. Pretty, pretty good set right here uh, for, the, for the most part. You see how his hips are square to the line of scrimmage, his shoulders are square to the line of scrimmage. And then he reacts. That's 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 good right here because the problem with opening up too soon is, you see how like just on this angle right here, where if Jakai Polite wanted to turn into him and, and try to take his chest to, to speed rush him, the, 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 he would have the center's chest because the center is squared up to him. But when you keep your your hips and your arms square, it limits what he could do to you because you're not going to be able to get inside of this. You're only going to be able to beat him to the edge, and you're not getting his chest. So, um, but if he takes a proper proper uh set then you're not gonna really be able to beat him outside either so good uh good set 
pass that from the tackler here, but yeah, he uh, nice swat to him too. So some concerns with the with the weight that he has, and you see a little bit right there. Um, next play is in the run game, or the run game in terms of his strengths. I don't think it's actually he's not. It's not like okay, he plays the run game bad. Like you see, guy, he doesn't make mistakes like guys like a Josh Allen or Brian Burns do, where they they overset or they they shoot in too early or whatever it may be. Um, his is more the strength, but he also makes up for it sometimes with athleticism, um, with some relatively good hand placement and the want to. He has a really big want to in in the run game and. uh Right here, it's it's versus tight end, but you can see him shoot. And, and there's a lag in this video. I apologize for that. It just it just the the view I got. There's always a lag right here, so you don't really see what happens. But I like the I like the fact that he, that he reads the run. He has his eyes in the backfield, and you can see him how he reduces his shoulder right here. So like I said, you want to reduce the contact point that you're going to give them, and reducing the shoulder um, does that. And you're not able to. Would, would you rather think about like you you hitting a wall? If you're if you're hitting a wall straight. Actually, actually, when you when you punch, you're supposed to punch like this. If for, for offensive linemen, if you're if you're watching, I guess uh, if you're playing high school or college, uh, for the most part, you're supposed to when you when you rotate, you want a slight turn because you're because when you're doing that, you're actually activating muscles in your in your back that you don't that you don't activate going like that. So when you, you when you strike, you actually want to turn your thumb outwards when you strike. Um, I don't know how I got into that, but <laughs> regardless, okay, yeah. So when you punch something straight, if you're hitting a wall straight, you're gonna create your most your most contact point versus flat surface, flat surface, flat surface. That's when you hit. You actually, this is a hit. Most with your palms too. This is you want to hit with the biggest surface area, so you don't want to hit with your. This is the strongest point in your hands, your your palm right here. So that's where you really want to hit with. That's where you turn. You hit here, but if you're hitting versus flat surface, that's when you generate the most the most uh, pounds per square inch or the most pressure. And now if that guy was – if you were going to punch and that guy turns his ankle right here, you're going to kind of – you almost like slide off of it right here and you're only going to hit with partial of your hand. So it just – it screws people up um, with both their punch, how much how much force their punch generates, um, plus gives them a, a smaller area to punch. If you're reducing your body into a punch, um, that's why you see guys low, nice and, nice and low and ready. You're giving them smaller areas to punch, you know. So um, that's what he does right here with that shoulder dip and then he shoots knives inside and he ends up, he ends up getting on the tackle. Like I said, sorry for the, for the crappy video right here, but unfortunately I have to get what I can from uh, the internet and I'm not, you, it isn't possible. I have NFL film. I have NFL, any NFL film from 2013 that I want to watch pretty much, but uh, college it's, it's nearly, it's literally, it's, it's impossible to, to get it to be, to be completely honest, unless you know somebody in that program or your bigger type guy, which, you know, I'm not yet, I'm hoping to get there. Um, but I do not have connections in colleges yet. So, uh, you know, if you are and you want to give me some film to break down, I'd be freaking all aw- that's, that's awesome. You see so much more here. Um, but here you can see again, like you, you see the shorter strides and then that long stride to get outside again. He's, he's doing that again right here. And because of that, he freezes the tackle's foot in the ground. You'll see it. That's not what the arrows point to. It's just an arrow late to show where polite is. But you see his left foot, like right there, kind of gets stuck on the ground where he has, he's in his so you have the where I was actually wrong a couple of weeks ago. I, I've been learning more. I, I've actually been watching a lot of offensive line clinics. That's actually one of the areas. Like I feel comfortable in every position, but the offensive line, I'm I, I'm solid in it in my own opinion. Um, but I could definitely get better at it. So you see him drive off that that inside foot and catch right here, and he gets into his kick slide. So you have you have this is the slide foot. This is the kick foot. This is a, if this is a run set. Um, this would be, this would be the, 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 the kick foot. This would be the, the, you know, the post foot. So actually it's a, actually post and kick. 
So kick foot, post foot, and this is the, the kick slide, kick slide, kick slide. So um, he gets into his kick slide. He opens up immediately, which you don't really, you don't really want to do. You want to say square, like I said. And because of that hesitation, he freezes that left foot in the ground right here. Where he, see how he doesn't continue in his kick slide because he, he thinks he's going to go inside. And that kind of you know uh, gives him more room to the outside one and puts the tackle into recovery mode where he can't stay square and, and punch anymore because there's there's too much ground. So he kind of has to just kind of hug technique him right here. He gives him his chest. Jakai Polite uh, gets that long arm right there. Where one arm is always longer than two. You always have to remember that too. So if you're attacking two arms, it's not as good as one arm um, in terms of playing long and using your length. So uses his length right here, gets his hand inside. Gets a good extension, power, um, and he's able to almost get by. But you see how he gets pushed up the arc right here because he recovers. He, you know, the tackle is able to drop his drop his weight right here into him, and kind of uh, spring him past. And this is where you see the length hurts. So this is where you see the power and the length. Where if he had longer arms right here, look how close that was. Longer length right here, most likely gets him the ball or an incompletion or hits the quarterback arm right here. So that's a little bit of the length you see where every inch matters. Literally, every, it's a game of millimeters. It's not a game of inches. So um, you could see what he did to the tackle right there, like I said, freezing him up and making him open up. Now, would he have opened up like that hook technique anyway because he might have been a, not a good right tackle? Yeah, potentially. But that move definitely aided uh, your Ja'Kai Polite, uh, you know, right there. So, all right, one more play against Georgia. Then I believe we go into some – some uh, film or whatever of um, Florida State game that, that he played. But this play, they, they're – so they all think – let's say they all take zone steps. Yeah, they all look at their, like their zone stepping and then you have a fake uh, handoff where it may be, you know, a mid-zone, outside zone um, play right here. And – then you have the you know jet sweep. It's like a jet sweep pop pass that they that they call right here. So it's actually a completion for the quarterback. But uh, it's actually kind of interesting how they throw it before the 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 uh, the fake handoff kind of happens. But regardless, uh, it's like a jet sweep pop pass here, and you see Polite on the top right here on the edge. He flows with the offensive line and their, and their zone steps at first, and then he sees the the jet sweep pop pass coming. And this you're, this is just that's the that's I, I in my opinion you don't see this a lot this, that's the elite explosion right here to close that distance like he does right there that almost looks like it's in fast motion but that is that is ridiculously fast like i said the slide plant and explode and the, the, the running back even tries to avoid it here you see how he kind of alters his angle right here where he's running like flat and he hops back a yard jakai Plot's still able to make the tackle that is really 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 good explosion right there from uh Jakai Polite. So this is this is definitely a player who, if he can play like he does on film, and the Jets get him, um, you know where they did. I don't see how you're not excited about this pick. And hopefully, I like Greg Williams can get his head out of his ass a little bit in terms of getting Jakai Polite's head out of his ass. But you know, listen, play at two thirty five, two thirty, get him up to two forty, and this is all he can do. And he's going to be limited at, at times. Then it is what it is. You're going for a third round pick, but I see him being a guy who could. You know, I think he's gonna develop a little bit. Obviously, you know, being 21 years old, you're gonna develop in a lot of areas. And if he can add some weight and add some power to his game, um, now am I saying in the first year you can do this? No, because everybody takes time to develop. He's never gonna be a finished product. Aaron Donald isn't a finished product. Nobody's a finished product. Um, you know, in their in their first year. But I, I can see him easily being a guy who gets 10, 11, 12, 13 sacks in in, in a year. Uh, he's that type of player. He has that elite athleticism. That's that's necessary. He doesn't have the strength or power. Um, 
I mean, I mean the length or power, but he could he can make up the power, and he'll just always have you know shorter arms. But there's got there's plenty of guys with shorter arms. You know, Melvin Ingram's a good example of a guy with elite athleticism, bend, explosion, but doesn't have the longest arms. So I can see him being a guy 10, 11, 12, 13 sacks maybe um, for for a few years in his career. So this is this is an exciting player uh, for sure. So this is called the wrong arming. You see, so they're running a. Um, this is a this is another like counter OF. They they adjust a little bit where the 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 guard was going to go out and, and kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage, um, which actually ends up being twenty one. But because of Jakai played in his ankle, you can see he adjusts to him right here. Um, and he yeah, he's going to well no actually let me see. Yeah, so you could see like they they what they would have ideally wanted Florida State was for him to come up the continue rushing up the arc and then he would kick him out and he would this uh was it a halfback uh, i mean a h-back or a um running back whatever he is he's lined up as an h-back he would have led through this this hole right here that the the, the guard would have created by kicking played out and probably blocked 21 and then they would have got to the edge but we drew kai played wrong arms him so that, that's good so you'd see right there when he's pulling and you take on the inside arm that's called the wrong arming uh, a puller um, what she does, he goes to wrong arm him. He has to adjust his angle. He gets extension into him. Um, you'd see he, he gets like that brace foot right there off the, off the midstep. And extension into him is able to almost like a hump move kind of. Um, but he, he basically just gets an arm to him. He uses, he's using like circular force torque, um, which there's like three types of, of, uh, of kind of ways to deflect and generate power, which is like straight pushing, lifting, and torquing in, in football. There's a, there's a couple other ways, but those are the three most general views of it. He gets under, torques him over, um, is able to plant, get squared up with the running back, boom, make the tackle. So I'll play it in full speed to see how, how nice it actually is for him to, to wrong arm it like that, get extension, get off of it, make the tackle. Really, really good play from, from Ja'Kai player right there. So you're going to see some play. He makes plays in the run game. That's a really, really good play in the run game. Is he going to make one straight on where he's getting, if he's getting blocked by a tackle, they're trying to kick him out. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but he makes, he'll, he'll make plays in the, in the run game. Um, now here it's, he, he has the, so he, he's going to rush in hard. It's a, it's a quarterback draw and he, he notices that, well, he might've been just trying to rush inside. Well, no, I, it looks like, no, he, I think he knows. It looks like he knows. So he has to give a little bit of ground and get a little bit of ground. So he's not gonna be able to take this tackle on head on who the, the tackle just roots right here. You see him just like little foot fire if he's like foot firing in place right here that's called rooting that's what i call it. i refer to it as now i think i've been watching a lot of clinics too so i really am enjoying it so he, he roots right here versus versus him because he doesn't want to aggressively attack him because if he misses then he's going to get on the quarterback with a draw you want to you want to root for the most part almost act like you're going to drop into a pass set and root down that's what he he does um as a tackle so juhai polite you know he lets him get into his body a little bit but he creates power off of his like brace, his brace foot right here. That like the brace foot with the, with the uh, off the instep. The instep is like when you turn your foot, and then the 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 midfoot, the middle of your foot, like a hallway for a quarterback wants to be pointed in the direction you're trying to brace against. Basically, um, you want to see him get his body a little bit more behind that. But he does throw that brace foot out right there, and you see how he drops his weight. So braces. You see exactly what happens. So the the one. If you're going to block him, 
as a, as a tackle, bring your legs into him, get under him, lift him, push him. I, I would I would advise more of a lift right here because he's closing ground. But get your hips in there. You know, roll your roll your power up through your hips and and, and climb that tree, as they say. Um, but he's you see how he's leaning right here. This is not generating a lot of power like this. That's just you're not. Your hips are pointing one way. Your body's going another way. This is this is not good from the from the left tackle. But uh, Jakai Polite is able to stand him up with that brace step. You see, he stands him up. And as he stands him up, the the offensive lineman is is you know off balance, and now he's now he's reaching for you. There's a difference between playing long and reaching, where he's he's reaching right now, drops his weight again, sheds the tackle. I mean, yeah, he well, he sheds he sheds the block. He's actually a tackle, so he just shed the tackle. So he sheds the tackle, and then uh, is able to get in position to potentially make a tackle right here. But he you know he doesn't because the the, uh, the ball carrier is already taken down, but. Uh, a couple aspects into that play that, that I like from uh, Jakai play. I know it's a little bit all over the place, but there's so many details into every single play that trying to formulate uh, an opinion that I could express to you guys is almost difficult sometimes, so I kind of trip up. But let's look at the next play. All right. I still have a few plays versus uh, Florida State here, so let me share my screen. Yeah, this is what I say like the the run game he makes he makes plays. It's it's the strength. If you're gonna take him straight on and you get your hands on, that's when you're worried. But he can create for himself with technique, with angles, with speed. With this is a good play from from him. Um, and they're running just a you know quarterback. I mean not a quarterback draw, just a, a halfback draw, running back draw, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what he does is. Which the the tackle? I'm not gonna get to the tackles because, especially with launching offensive linemen, I want to say everything that they're doing wrong. Um, I'm not gonna do that because it's gonna be a review about both guys. But the tackle does not play this very well. Where I would like to see, you know, you're, you're, you're more of a rooting. You don't want to, this. You don't want that. You don't want that because exactly what happens is what happens when you open up outside. You you you're susceptible to the inside. So, you know, keep your hips square, root down, reverse them, and listen. If you try to shoot your face, you you, you block them. You you step with that high leg and you cut them off. You hop in front. Um, you know, if you want to, if you if you if you don't want to hop and you want to extend your arms and then power step, whatever you want to do, um, that's not good from the tackle. Sorry, I'm just like I said, I'm getting into the offensive lineman a lot more. And I'm liking a lot more, but that stab, so stab upfield makes him open. When he opens, you see some of the change of direction, some of the um, just some of the athleticism right here. So boom, like it's like a fight, you know. Boom. So and I'm just saying boom, <laughs> but. Uh, hard stab upfield. Center is in oh shit mode because he knows he might come back inside, and he just tries to get a hand on him here to that that, that half boon. Just try to well, what he's going to try to do now with the center. <coughs> I mean, sorry, with the right tackle is he's trying to get this hand on the on the shoulder, and then he's going to try to with that momentum, he's going to try to ca carry himself into a punch underneath, <coughs> um, most likely, and try to most likely try to torque him. I'm not I'm not trying to torque him. Um, well, actually, you could, you could try to torque him out of the play, basically. Um, but regardless, I'm not, like I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about uh, that right now. But stab, chop, gets in on the tackle. Really, really nice play right here um, from from Polite. Really quick. You see how quick that is um, to get into there. Or you could torque him, or, or I, I was, I forgot the word for a second, but wrench him. Where wrench him? If listen, if if you get on my inside, if you're if you're on my Let's call this my let's call this my inside hip. So if I'm the right guard, you're looking at me. If a guy gets past you, you're gonna try to get your hand on him, um, you know, your hand on his chest, and then your 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 outside hand on his hip or his ass, and you're gonna try to kind of push and push and pull right here, to torque him back, you know, back inside to you. So um, he's gonna try to torque him right here. 
most likely, but he's not able to do it. Kai Polite is able to, like I said, athleticism, start, stop, start quickness, a build just smarts right here. That's a really nice play in the run game. There, there's some plays where you're not going to see in the run game. Um, oh, I didn't know I recorded another play. I don't think I did it by, by that, that by on a purpose, but let's not leave him unblocked. You need the quarterback killed all day. I know it's a quick pass, um, but he's going to get your quarterback killed all day. That's the, we're not supposed to talk about that play. So next play, uh, let's see what this play is. I know it's against Florida state again. I'm, I'm having some technical issues with my computer and windows being too big, but what it is, what it is. Um, so top of the screen, two point stance, a little bit less recoil right here. I like to see how he's more ready. When your weight's more more ready, you don't have to bend down and bend your knee and, and kind of bring your foot back. Um, when you're ready like this, you know, that's that's a lot, a lot better step right here. So I like that more of that aggressive, more coiled over ready uh, stance right here. And so you see the explosion. You, you could definitely see the explosion right here if I play it in full speed. That's, that, that's good. That uh, number 96 right there has good explosion for his body. Wait too. He looks pretty fast, number ninety six. But he's also in a three point stance, a little bit different. Uh, you or four point stance actually. So it's it's a little bit easier to explode from that. But uh, good explosion from from polite. You can see him dip his shoulder right there as, as he's trying to to corner and flatten his angle. But the the left tackle is able to get his hands on him and, and push him up the arc. Like I said, you're gonna have some some of that those problems with that uh that contact balance through through his bend and or not his contact balance just his power through his through his bend and the quarterback is able to to get out and scramble right there uh, next play play number 15 of 35 you're gonna see some speed i remember this play but I, I believe this is like you see some real real explosion here again from from a uh, polite so he is on the top of the screen yeah that, that first step right there like he's not ready to snap but you, that's explosion right right here that is, and this aspect. So this, so first step right here, his second gear of his explosion is ridiculous. Like his, his second and third steps are crazy. Like, yeah, he's, he is fast, man. Um, so you see again, more of a direct angle, a little bit of a crossover right there. Uh, I'm not sure if he, this is why I need film of a better angle. Cause you can't really tell. It looks like a cross chop. And then you see some of that bend right here. You see it? Some nice bend. And he's able to get his hand. Boom. Fumble. When you have that speed around around that arc and the quarterback can't see you, you just want to throw the ball and get your arm out there. You have that good flexibility, um, that good athleticism, that good speed. You're going you're gonna to cause some fumbles. So he's going to cause some fumbles. He calls a ton of fumbles when he's playing um, with Florida. So another good play from Polite. Now we're going to see some of that speed off of that uh, – Three, I think this is a three-point stance coming. This is the last play against Florida State. I think we go to Kentucky after this, but just that right there. It's really, really good explosion. Um, now you're hoping you can keep that, and <laughs> so I could, I could be like a typical Twitter guy and be like, "Oh my God, he's so fast! He took the tackle off his feet," which he had a part in doing. But you could, if you could see the number nine, you see right there. You see how he steps on his foot. That's actually why he falls. Um, but people on Twitter are like, "Oh my God, look at that!" You know, without without mentioning that, even if they I don't know if they notice it or they don't have attention to detail, or they're just trying to get a lot of clicks. But uh, you still see really, really good explosion right here from that three point stance. That's it's it's funny you play it multiple times; it looks slower than it actually is. But if I was like to pause it, 
and like you don't see it for a little bit you kind of readjust your eyes and then you play it it looks kind of faster i don't know if that's just for me or not but uh really really good explosion right here bend boom sack that's uh and let's see if he does any any real moves right here you see uh, you see how, again so so i'm talking about a little bit it's, it's very it's very like kind of like it's like kind of very slight but how his shoulders are pointed out like outside outside and his hips are still pointed towards the quarterback that's a little bit of that hip and torso mobility that i'm talking about right there so you're rushing you want to reduce your body to give less, less of a contact point reduce hips are still going forward as he takes that long stride so shorter stride shorter stride boom one long out one long stride so nice play gets to the quarterback readjusts his angle um gets the sack uh again another, another nice play from from polite next play we're going to be looking at is a play in the run game and this is against the university of kentucky two-point stance again like i said i don't think his run game is as bad as people say it is uh you know, plants gets his hips, you know, square. The, the the tackle's not good, but that's that's a story for another day where he's not bringing his hips and he's punching from wide and giving up his chest. But just looking at Polite, gets his hands inside, extension, peeks into the backfield. Um, on this, on this uh, you know, pistol set, it looks like it's uh, almost, it's, it looks good, like a tight zone, tight zone split. And extension, holds him off. Now, now they're now they're at battling at the point of attack right here for for leverage. You'd see him extend right here, drop his weight, extension, drop his weight, extension. So he's reading, reading. So he's he's going like he's like more like reading right now. Stacks them, sheds. So that when he extends his arm right here, the center is now. I mean, the left tackle is now off uh, off balance. And he's lifting him up. So then as he rips through, he doesn't have as much contact to, to work against. So drops his weight and rips through and steps through. Really, really nice play right here. Um, again, getting his hands inside extension, uh, dropping his weight, and then you know stepping away from that contact and, and kind of ripping inside as well um, to get another tackle. Nice play. Uh, and the next play we're going to look at, let's see. It's a, another play in the run game. Let me share my screen. And here we go. So top of the screen. Uh, again, so you have a. Uh, it's actually like a. This is actually a counter with a quarterback. It's a counter tray, but it's a quarterback counter tray, which is interesting. Um, so you see him take on the 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 pulling um, left guard right here, gets his hands inside, and he's not. It's. He, he, like I said, it's, there's going to be some plays where he doesn't make in the run game. There's other plays where he uses athleticism to do it. He gets his hands inside. Um, you know, he takes some he, – he gets blown back a yard or two right here, but he's still able to to shed because the, the center is a little bit out of control here, but he still is able to shed and make a tackle, um, you know, on the quarterback right there. So I think, the, I think the, the statements in the run game of him being so bad in the run game are a little bit overstated because he uses the athleticism. He uses that want to that he – uh, clearly has displayed in this in this review, and it clearly displayed to me on film, even plays that I did not record. Um, I, you know, I like it. So this next play um, that I'm that I just showed right here, um, you see, has, he's a readjust his angle right here. He's not, he's not sure if he's gonna get like tripped by the tight end right here as he's rushing as like a seven tech with the uh, a stand up seven tech uh, in a two point stance. The tight end releases, he changes his angle a little bit, 
and you can see how he rushes directly towards the left tackle. That that stab inside kind of freezes the tackle's feet. See how he kind of screws up the tackle set right here, and then the, t the tackle readjusts where he's going to get pushed too far up the arc. But you see um, that Plight keeps his eyes on the quarterback, is able to plant hard, you know, outside with our you know, plant hard outside with that outside foot, and then get inside the tackle. And it looks like he uses almost like a like a club chop right here. <clears throat> Club like a cross chop, like I said. The other angles you can get on from the actual film are better, but um, nice change of direction, nice hand usage right here. And he gets the the hit on the quarterback who gets rid of the ball. And this sort of, oh, well, you know, he, they, and I think this is the, literally the actual play. I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, well, oh, he got to the quarterback and hit, but it's not a good play because, you know, he the quarterback got the ball off and got a first down. So nobody can have a good rep. So, he, so. All 11 players on defense had good, bad plays, and every player on offense has had, had good plays, apparently. You know, so like, how dumb does that sound if you actually think about it? Um, so if this, if this tackles get blown back over because he takes bad technique and he opens up his arms and winds up and, and his hips aren't squared to the line of scrimmage, it's a good play because the quarterback got rid of the ball. <laughs> oh, man. So good play, the change of direction right here, the hand usage getting back inside from, from, from Polite, um, you know, in my opinion. This play is going to be an example of that, uh, that, that fake wrong arm technique where he shows a wrong arm and he gets around. So, yeah, another, another play where this uh, – this is – it's not a counter, but this time they're, they're using like a counter, counter OF where it's not a counter – it's not a counter tray, but it's with the running back blocking. Um, it's supposed to be like lead blocking through that hole with the uh, – pulling guard kicking out so counter tray with a quarterback so quarterback counter tray uh, nice play so flight is on the edge right here and you see how he hops inside right here see that hard plan inside he's gonna he's showing that pull that he's in a wrong arm the the, the center the the puller reacts he's able to use his hand you see his his, his inside hand right here to keep the the, the uh, puller off of him lateral um uh, ability right here with that sidestep uh, gets out of that gets out of the, the uh, puller's way really quickly. So lateral agility, hand usage, um, is able to get on the, on the tackle. So I'll I'll play it in full speed. You can see the the wrong arm and the the fake wrong arm in in a full speed right here and the lateral agility and makes a tackle. Like I said, good play from from polite play number twenty one coming up is a this is a this is a good example of, of uh, freezing the foot right here. Uh, that I said with, a, with that hesitation and some of his angles that he takes in in his rush. So, um, geez, five oh one. I think I have to go to dinner at like five forty five. So the power through these next. Uh, I'll be able to do it. So stand up, right here. Stand up on the edge right here. You see the arrow that points at him. Um, you see how he rushes inside. He's like, he gives that little head fake. You see with the kick step. So you have, so you have or kick slide. So kick slide, kick slide, kick slide. Where like I said kick and the slide, the post and the kick. So the that's your post foot, that's your kick foot, um, and he freezes that post foot right here. You can see where it's not necessarily the smoothest, but it's it's gonna be um, after that. Before that foot like fully lands, he's he's coming up, and then it lands, and he and he kind of freezes that inside foot right here. You see how he freezes that because of the hesitation. So he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to move his leg, his his post leg, because if he has to react back inside, you know, drop that post leg, and then the kick foot becomes the post leg, and the and the post leg becomes the the kick foot. Um, that's what he wants to do. But you know, play freezes him. He's not on balance right here. His legs are straight because of this. He gives him his chest, 
and polite uh, comes with that long arm bull rushes him with that long arm uh, stops throws like a almost like a precautionary chop to that arm if he was able to get that arm inside so he stops uh, chops and then is able to get him to the quarterback so like I said nice 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 move right here you see it freezes him it's very slight but he does he does freeze him right there power. Runs right through him, chop, boom, hit on the quarterback. I'm not sure if there's a fumble or not. We can, we can, I can watch again. Let's see. Is it a fumble? Eh, probably not. Looks like the yeah, quarterback's arm's coming forward. It wasn't a fumble. At least in my opinion. They might have ruled it differently, but from what I saw right there, it wasn't. So next uh, play here, let's see what happens. Arm over, run game, sweep. Is this a sweep? Yeah, call it a sweep. So, when the running back takes that angle, and you usually uh, looks funny sweep on a different day, but I would call this a sweep. Um, again, you have that. Let's say is that is that a tight end? You have a tight end who's coming to block him, which again not the not the best block attempt. You want to bring your hips forward. You want to shoot from under, or even if you're shooting from from over, you don't really want to be like leaning like he is right here. He is, that lean he's overextending. Um, but that's because Jerkai Polite gives him a hesitation, a little bit like a foot fire almost, plant hard inside, uh, club, arm over, just sheds that easily. And then he still has to deal with that, that, that pulling center. The pulling center comes, he gets extension, attacks half a man. He's not attacking head, you know, helmet on helmet, full man. He's attacking the, 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 inside, the inside shoulder because that's, that's where he sees the running back going. Um, gets his arms in into that or into the uh, puller, and I don't know if he actually. I think I don't think he makes the tackle. He starts the tackling process though. He's not able to finish, but he he, he got off the two blocks right here. Like I said, hesitation, uh, club arm over. Um, he's able to take the ha- the half man of that of that uh, puller on the sweep or the, the pulling center on the sweep where they they wanted to go outside right here, um, you know most likely, and. Good job by Polite. I'm give him a thumbs up for that for that play. Now looking at the next play, a few more hesitation moves coming. Um, I think this is the last play against Florida. Or no, sorry, that's no, not. It's uh, now now we're now we're looking at Mississippi State here. Um, man, the speed again. Um, which, by the way, the right tackle is so slow. <laughs> he is so slow, man. Um, but you see some of the speed, and this is one of his favorite things to do, where he's going to rush more directly at you, and then he alters his stride, or short, 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 longer step. Um, or even if it's not a short, a short stride, then a longer step. He likes to change his angles, um, you know, a, a lot of the times. And that's what he does right here. This, the, the, that right tackle literally has no shot. Gets around, boom, sack on the quarterback. That's just, again, the this, this speed and the angles that he likes to, um, you know, take advantage of the next play. This is a play in the run game where, like I said, did not expect as many plays in the run game for as bad as I, I, I heard he was in the run game. Um, now, does he necessarily win at the point of attack and blow up this right this this right tackle who, you know, takes this uh, you know that that drop step and then comes he's trying to come underneath like a double under, um, you know, right here. But Jukai Play gets extension into him. See the extension. Get your hands on first. That's that's very very important in the run game, pass game, anything. Get your hands on first is very very key. Gets his hands on first. Um, is able to. He, he kind of just he's backing away from the tackle right here. He's assessing the run play. 
um, as he sees the running back cutting his way. You can see how he reduces, gets inside right here as the, as the right tackle is coming in uncontrolled. Um, come, he closes ground on the running back to make the tackle. Good. This is, this is a good right here too. Defeats the stiff arm. That's what, you, that's what you're calling that. If you're going to do a stiff arm, you do not want to throw your hand out like that because it's going to give him a lot of time to react. Um, Ja'Kai Plett reacts with that. He chops it. He chops it down right here. So if he wasn't able to, do, if he didn't do that, that that hand lands on his chest or shoulder, and then he maybe you know breaks the tackles, able to get um, up the field. But nice job defeating the stiff arm. Good athleticism, and is able to uh, bring him down for you know a no gain one yard um, gain right there from from a Ja'Kai player. He limited to a no gainer you know one yard gain. Let's see what this play is. Speed, reduce, rip. Should be most likely the same type of thing. Yep. It's he 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 likes that. That's he he wins a lot with that. But he also he has some hand technique, which I've shown with the cross chops, and he has a spin move, and he has the ability to win inside as well. So when your rusher can win outside, listen with a guy who has a spin move and like like I said with that that change of direction skill with the cross chop. Um, if you're gonna overset him, then he he can, he can you know if he develops that power, he can long arm you. If you if you over if you overset him, you open your hips up wide, he's gonna be able to spin you. If you open up out you know outside wide, he's gonna be able to plant his outside foot, cross chop and get inside of you. So he can win inside and outside. Um, again, here you're gonna see it though, more of a direct angle, reduces body. So you have short stride, shorter stride, longer stride right here as he's ducking to reduce the the, the contact point um, in the contact window. Gets by with looks like a rip. Like I said, I want to have a better angle. Yeah, he rips through. So hesitation, rip through, some nice bend and speed overall, and another sack on the quarterback. So I'll play that in full speed. You can see a little bit, a little bit more appreciation for how fast that that happens. Um, little, the video is a little bit laggy on this play for for whatever reason. That's not my computer. It's just the actual video I recorded. Next play. Against Charleston uh, Southern. Let's see here. Yeah, so hesitation versus the right tackle. He tries to jump set him. Yeah, hesitation. Hands, and it looks like a. Doesn't look like a double swipe. He just gets his hands on him and, and dips around the contact. So, um, and the quarterback is obviously going to get rid of the ball fast, but he gets his hands up for the pass deflection. So this is just more more speed and that hesitation move again, changing his angles um, that he that he likes to do. So, next play is a inside spin. Let's see what this play is. This is versus Missouri. So, like I said, if you're gonna if you're gonna overset him. If you're going to open up your hips early, which he, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't stay square for the, for the, the period that he's supposed to this tackle. So what happens when you open up your hips early, if I can pause this, you open, when you open up your hips early, look at all this room and look where he is. So this big gap to the B gap, if he's able to get inside, that's, that's great because he's oversetting. Again, the little stop step right here, plant. I'm not sure if he, what he does with that outside arm because I can't see with this angle, but you see how I'm talking about with with those. Um, you're oversetting. You're gonna have a, one. You have, you're gonna have a tendency to to shoot your hands wide. I just it's like hug technique, um, and that backhand, that inside hand of the of the uh, of the tackle is gonna get taken care of by the body. You see how it's he's not really able to create any contact right here unless you're gonna grab him and hold. Um, but nice spin move. It actually literally 
Yeah, that's that's nice, man. The the, the left tackle literally falls down trying to. Uh, I think he falls down trying trying to recover from that. Or no, almost falls down. Um, really really tight move. Boom. That is that is really tight. Um, gets nice and into the guy. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to have to spin with too much move or too much room because if you have more room, you have more. They, the the tackle has more room to to recover when you when you don't create a lot of room on these spins you want to create necessary room but we don't create a lot of room you don't give them time to recover and you kind of almost rotate off of their hip you see like, he like rotates off of them he, he kind of almost hits them which throws them more off balance nice tight spin move that little like elbow jam and hits the quarterback so another nice spin move from jakai okay we got about eight eight or nine plays we're on play 28 um so missouri Let's see. Again, so we see he so he sees the handoff. Um, sees the handoff coming right here, and he knows he's on the backside of the play. So he's in a sh- he's in a shuffle. He's going to read the play, see if he can make a play on it. The um, the left guard, you know, comes up after the after the combo block, and tries to block uh play. And Polite uses extension. He uses movement. He keeps himself clean, takes himself right into the uh, right into the right into the running back. Um, let's play that again. So, like I say, he's gonna make some plays with athleticism, and and he reads plays relatively well. I think he's actually a pretty smart player, um, or a much smarter player than I thought he was. You know, prior prior to watching him, uh, Vanderbilt, bottom of the screen, and some of these some of these videos I get like to be like a twelve minute clip of him against the team and all of his snaps, and to be like certain was like only like two minutes, you know. So I take what I can. Uh, again, really, really tight spin move here. His spin move is lethal at times. If you're going to reach for him, if you're going to open up early, you're going to give him what happens right here. You do not want that versus polite. And especially with this tackle, if the tackle knows that that running back is going to help him outside, set inside. You have, you have help outside. Let him beat you outside. And, you, and, and then the running back takes him and you can recover. But don't get beat inside when you have help outside. That doesn't make much sense. But again, that like that stop step, tight step in, into the uh, into the uh, into the right tackle. You could see that the right hand disregard or, or uh, kind of uh, deflect the the right hand of the tackle. You see that punch right there, the punch to it. The bicep tosses that away. The the inside hand of the tackle is. You can see how he goes a punch and it slides off him. That's what I said. Like you're like deflecting his punch right there. Where you're punching versus something that's spinning. It's not really easy to do. Like try to punch a baseball it doesn't you know what i'm saying so nice tight spin move and you could see him literally roll off of that this is how tight this is he's rolling off of the hip of him see this that's really really nice and, and tight and then as soon as he finishes this as soon as he finished that spin move he sees that the quarterback's going to react splits him hard plant change of direction skill and then look at his hand too right here Swats that down, and then again goes to do it again, again to keep himself clear. So he swats, goes to swat again, change of direction skill, uh, change of direction skill. Goes to change of direction again here, tries to get his hand on the ball, and, and he doesn't. So oh well, guess what? He didn't get the sack, and the quarterback got rid of the ball. Yeah, this is a bad play for Jakai play. That's a freaking great play. That's that's one of the best plays I've shown, and he didn't even make it. He, he didn't even get a hit or a, a sack. You know so. Really, really nice play. I, I like that one a lot. The change of direction and the, the hand usage there is is really, really good. So um, I'm gonna run through. I'm just gonna keep running through them here. So 
Next play, I put absurd hesitation, reduction, burst, bend. Yeah, that's 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 smooth, man. Two point stance. Not really ready at this. Oh, yeah, he's he actually anticipates the snap relatively well, but see more more of a more of a direct angle towards the left tackle. And as he comes to that contact window, he reduces contact point. You see how you see shorter stride, shorter stride, long stride. You see what I'm saying with that altered strides and the altered angles he likes to use. Um, he's going to try to keep you inside so you can get the outside. And if you're going to go outside, he's going to beat you inside. So it's not like he's a one-dimensional guy who only wins outside, but he did plenty in college. And reduction, you see the left arm chop the or go to attempt to chop the outside arm, which I'm not sure if he does because of the, the, the video quality. But still, it's a good move. Really good bend and, and flexibility right here. You see, that's he's low right here. Bends really fast. Force fumble, another one. We've shown a couple of force fumbles right here, but that's that is nice, fluid athleticism, speed, bend, um, setting up his angles well. <laughs> Watching this film and not being excited about what they got in the third round. If he, like I said, if he can mature, he's, it's not like he's a dumb player. It's not like he was smoking weed. It's not like he's dumb in the film room. It's not like he's he's uh, he's beaten women. You know, he he interviewed poorly. He's a 21 year old kid. I, I think he's able to get over it. I think the, the Jets have found. Their outside linebacker, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident in this. Um, the only thing that's going to hurt him is if, is it, you know, if he's not uh, mature, or he's not going to work hard off the field, whatever it may be. O- on the field, I know he works hard. Off the field, I haven't heard too much about it, but we'll, we'll see. You just hope he can bring his character together. But again, more of a direct angle, hesitation, reduction of the shoulder, dip, whatever you want to call it, good bend. And ability to flatten right here. It's not the. It's not like he doesn't like bend, bend hard because he doesn't really have a contact point to bend against. But um, he's able to flatten and turn the corner. Hits the quarterback, and it's not a fumble, but still a hit on the quarterback. So nice play. We have four plays left. So knows how to win with his angles and his feet. Let's see what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, you see the result. This is a play that we showed before. Uh, I forget exactly what team it was, but hard stab up field um, versus this. So it looks. It, this looks like a. Uh, it's, a it's, it's an inside zone split, and the, the, this. So like the, the right tackle again. He should just root down. Maybe maybe hop up, but you don't you don't want to. You don't want to give him this big of an area. That's that's too big of an area. So he, he hops, but he doesn't hop up get, uh, covering the gap. So he doesn't cover the gap, stays in place, doesn't really root his feet, and turns his hips. If you're going to turn your hips immediately and the play is going you know here, get in front of the gap. You want to cover that gap. So he doesn't do that. Um, but because of that hard stab, that's why he, he's doing this. So not good, but Ja'Kai Play caused it. So stab, head fake. Shoot inside, um, cross chop, whatever it may be right there to get to defeat that inside arm, um, change of direction, and tackle for loss. Nice nice play again, for sure. Okay, so <clears throat> next play, three more plays left. Plight rip power. Let's see. Okay. So this is versus tight end. Um Same type of moves I've been talking about. He places the, the outside arm on the bicep right here to control that arm a little bit, throws the rip through it. 
some power here. Ex- ex- extension. He, he literally throws a tight end right here. So he doesn't get, I know he doesn't get to the quarterback right here because he gets rid of the ball on what we, we refer to as a three-step drop right here, or just, just a shotgun um, on a quick slant, but still he literally tosses the tight end right here. Nice, nice, Nice hand usage with the with the uh, controlling that outside arm, throwing a rip into it, and then some, um, you know, some nice uh, power for that rip. So again, this is where the length comes in, and him getting pushed up the arc a little bit, though. So gives a little bit of hesitation, but the the tackle is able to to recover, and he's already you know, he's already playing outside hard, and you see how he's able to get his hands, hand, and hand into the shoulder. And see how that pushes Jakai Plight up the arc right here. So he'd have flattened out right here. He would have been on that on this yard line right here, where my where my mouse is. Um, but because of that that rec- that hand right here, he pushes him a little bit too fast or, or too much past the uh, the angle he wanted to flatten at. And that length comes into play here. Look again. Look how close that hand is. So length right there and the uh, the, the uh, bend through contact right here is another play that. You know, I talk about he needs a really clean angle at times to 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 win, um, which we want to see improve. The last play, I'm going to say this again. I guess we're going to end on a negative. Needs to win. Needs a win cleaner. Uh, fourth and fifteen against Michigan. It's a hesitation. Trying to deflect the hands right here. It looks like a, almost like a like a swipe. Like I said, I can't get the angle from the angle you want from the end zone, but tries to defeat the hands right here. Goes to flatten and bend and gets pushed up the arc. See, see what I'm talking about with wanting to win cleanly. So that's it. I, I kind of had to rush through the last couple of plays a little bit because I have somewhere to be. But I appreciate you guys uh, sticking with me. Um, going to be back in a couple of days with a review of Chuma Adoga and uh, Trayvon Wesco. After that, I'll be doing um, Blake Cashman and Greg Dorch, and I'll be back with Osemele and then probably Montgomery or Poole, whichever one of those comes first. I don't know. And I'll have reviews of all the other um, Jets. And like I said, follow the show, TOJ Space Film Room on iTunes, on the YouTube, uh, youtube.com. Just type in uh, TOJ Film Room. Throw us a like there. Throw us comments, questions to Blue at Joe at TOJ or follow me on Twitter at JoeRB31 where I post all these plays and give up a little, a little write-up as much as I can. Um, and uh, follow the new show. It's not on uh, the podcast app yet, but the YouTube, just type in Joe's Film Room. Uh, you're not going to be able to find it because there's not a lot of subscribers. But if you're interested in it, uh, I'm going to put a link underneath um, in the description. Click on it. Subscribe. You know, I don't have a ton of subscribers yet because I literally just started having put a video out yet. But if you could, I'd really appreciate it. Leave reviews um, on this show, on the on the podcast app, and or just a five-star rating. I'd really appreciate it. And like I said, I'll be back in a uh, couple of days to do a review of the uh, the next two draft picks. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And sorry for the, uh, the mini hiatus, but it is what it is.